With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Because as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. We are previewing all things Week 7. But first, want to tell you about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight, all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight. This is an alert because all you have to do is put in $20 into your account. Use the promo code PFF and you'll get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's 365 days of PFF Edge. $40 value for just 20 bucks, and you get the opportunity to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the country. It's Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20, use the promo code PFF today, and receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. I would do that mm, right now. So should. go do it. Also, special thanks to Pristine Auction. Thanks for sponsoring the PFF NFL podcast, pristineauction.com. Go there and check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items up for auction, signed helmets, balls, jerseys, and much more. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use the promo code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. Sam, it's going to be a great show. There's a lot going on here. Hall of Famer, Joe Thomas. Yes. Future Hall of Famer, Joe Thomas, at the end of the show. It was a pretty good interview. We did it yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, we'll have him back. Yeah. But all I have to say is, through one conversation with him, you can tell why he's going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like, not only was he athletically extremely gifted, and just from a physical standpoint, the prototype for pass-blocking left tackles in the NFL, turns out he also studies harder than anybody else as well, and knew more about how to win in addition to the physical, like it's just cheating. Like, not it'd be one thing to just be that talented. That's already kind of cheating, and then to add that kind of work ethic to that talent is just unfair. Offensive linemen in general are fascinating to talk to, but listen, just you know, Sean Sean McVay has all those clips of him having like a photographic memory and everything. Yeah, like some of Joe Thomas's recall about the players that he faced right. is just absurd. So. Uh, that's at the end of the show. Don't fast forward. Listen to us first hmm. and then stick around for the Joe Thomas interview because it is fantastic. Um, also, before we get into it, just want to give a shout out to um, some of the, like the lesser known folks in the media landscape. You know, we, we try to we try to help the little guy here, the PFF NFL Ooh, podcast. This week? Uh, Mina Kimes. Okay. So you and I were on the Mina Kimes show yep. this week, her podcast. So go check it out. We had a great discussion on essentially the top 10 teams 
from a playoff probability standpoint, we went back and forth and discussed their weaknesses. So shout out to Mina, who's doing a great job on ESPN, uh, you know, pushing analytical concepts yeah. in a simple way, right? We applauded her for that on the podcast. We did. And then also a shout out to uh, Mr. Chris, Chris Collinsworth and Richard Sherman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the two guys trying to get their podcast off the ground. Go check it out. So it's on YouTube. It's also anywhere you download and subscribe this podcast. Chris Collinsworth featuring Richard Sherman every single week. An outstanding football conversation. They get into football. They get into off the field stuff. I, they even went a little off course and discussed basketball a couple weeks ago, but it's a little of everything on that show. Market calendars don't want to miss it. 60 minutes of great insight. Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman and a couple other, you know, a couple other guys. We have breaking news. Oh, boy. Uh, we get some breaking news music here. Some noise, some sound. The, the Ravens have just traded for Yannick Ngakwe. Really? Yes. The player that was recently traded to Minnesota. At the start of the season. Fascinating. Minnesota with the fire sale. Right. So the Vikings are mid-fire sale. It just seems it's unusual for that to be the guy that only just walked in the building. And oh my God, how bad is that defensive line now for Minnesota? Yeah, that's that's pretty poor yeah. in general. And, and here's the thing with the Ravens. Um, we we now get to see them, and they're, they're on bye this week, right? We now get to see the Ravens with, another, with a guy that can win up front right they've had to scheme it up the last couple of years they bring in Calais Campbell he had a dominant game last week and he can win up front but now you just bring more versatility there Matthew Judon and Calais Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe you don't have to scheme it up as much I just think it gives that defensive front even more versatility maybe they just want to rush four every now and then 2021 third rounder and a 2022 conditional fifth so they lost a round in the last whatever that was, six weeks. For a six-week yeah. potential investment. I, I want to give credit to the Vikings for at least... Oh, it was worth rolling a dice. Yeah, the split, yeah. The, but like the sunk cost, not you know, not just rolling with Ngakwe and saying... Yeah. Admitting the mistake, we'll say. Well, and, I don't even know if it's admitting the mistake as much as just saying well, the circumstances are different now. We're not challenging for anything, so let's dump everything. Maybe mistake's not the right word, but right. It's, it's saying... It's easy to say, well, we paid a second. There's no way we're just going to do this yeah. for a third. You, you're at least you know, getting something back in return here, which yeah. is... The sunk cost is thing good. is it. You're not being tied to the fact that you gave up more than that to get him six weeks ago right. if you think that now it's the right decision to just dump all assets and move on so there we go we got some ravens news holden mark it down it's not all just games on this podcast we had a breaking news item here so can you be a little bit professional on this show what nobody wants to hear you like communicating with the behind the scenes people it's it's very unprofessional you would never see richard sherman doing that richard i mean richard's a rookie i mean they they should be taking notes from us. He's a rookie. In We're his, the in, flagship in, PFF podcast in, here. In media experience, dealing with the media. Rookie? Rookie. Sherm. Huh. Rookie. Okay. And Chris? I mean, Chris has no podcast experience. He's just, you know, finding his way. He's probably nervous all the time. That dude has been in media since before either of us were alive. Well, no, that's no, true. Not that, no, not really. Not we're not that old. But, no. You know. No, I know. We are that old. He I think, called Drew Bledsoe's first game. So Wow. Holden appreciates the shout out. Okay. See, I'm a man of the people. We get everybody some airtime, even even the great Tyler. Tyler makes an appearance makes later an on. Appearance if you're on in the YouTube, Joe Thomas interview. Yeah, if you're on YouTube, uh, stick around for the Joe Thomas interview because you'll see a little Tyler cameo at the back. Tyler, also, our, our producer, is a Browns super fan, so we got the Browns helmet. Yeah, here you'll today. notice the helmet is different. Usually, it's Hall of Fame helmet, which is fitting for Joe Thomas. BFF helmet because you know this is our show. 
And the top one is usually the Kansas City Chiefs helmet because they are the current reigning Super Bowl champions. Yeah. But Joe Thomas has nothing to do with the Chiefs. He was a Browns lifer. So we so the helmet's different. We made it, you know, feel like home for him. All right, let's get into the action. That was a good start, though. Uh, Thursday night football, it's back. New York Giants at the Philadelphia Eagles. Sam, give us your NFC East scenarios that you're rooting for the most this year. Oh, well, there. so I was curious after Dallas lost. You know, we were talking they, they could get back to 500 on Monday night. And that didn't happen. Really didn't happen. So now they're, what, 2-4? and four? Um, So at that point, it becomes 2-4 well, and four with a commanding lead in the division, by the way. Yeah. So at that point, it becomes, well, okay, how bad can this get? Like, forget, you know, 7-9 and nine winning the division. How, how crappy a record can the team who wins this division actually amass? Now, mathematically... The Giants and Washington can still win with a 4-12 and 12 record, right? But that's like so hard to happen because of all the other things. Uh, Philadelphia can win with a 4-11-1 record, which is slightly more plausible. Realistically, the most sort of plausible, uh, ridiculous record is a 5-win team can win this division. Uh, but... I would love nothing more be, than for the four eleven and one Eagles to win it, but I and then host a, host a playoff game. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I will settle for a five win team winning the division. I like it. I mean, it's something to root for. Unfortunately, right. the models say it's still more likely the a six or seven team win team is still going to take it. If you're listening here on Thursday, uh, what are we looking for here? Carson Wentz has played better he has. the last couple of weeks. Think, I think it shows up in the stats yeah. at some point. Not just the stats. I think it shows up in the win column. True. At some point. Like, that was the thing. They, he's played better the last two weeks, but they've played the Ravens and the Steelers, so it didn't matter. They still lost both the games. I Now they're playing the Giants. So I think this is the week that Carson Wentz finally gets rewarded for showing up and, and playing better with a win. And then the other thing that's interesting to watch for the Eagles is Fulgham. Fulgham. Is he for real? Like, he's yeah. had some insane numbers. He's looked like a legit receiver. I mean, it's always hard to know in small sample sizes, but... There's nothing you can. You're looking at him play and not finding a you know giant glaring amount of weaknesses or just a an endless sequence of like holes and zones that he's picking up. Like he's beating people, he's making plays and winning matchups, right? So the league may have screwed up in their evaluation of Travis Fulgham, and he might actually be a really good player. There's no Zach Ertz, no Alshon Jeffrey, no Miles Sanders now, no Jack Driscoll. You know what that means? Um, so more Fulgham. What does it mean? Boston Scott died. More Boston Scott time. All right. Well, if you already watched the game, hope you enjoyed Thursday Night Football's return. Um, I'm taking the Eagles to, to win and cover. I'm believing in them. Four and a half point spread as of recording time. Let's get into some of the big games this weekend. Starting out west, the NFC West, Seattle Seahawks at the Arizona Cardinals. It is it's a really good matchup. You've got the Cardinals. They're at home. I think, you know, Seattle's kind of had some quirky games at Arizona, even when the Cardinals weren't that good. And now they look like a much better all-around team. They're coming off that throttling of the Cowboys. Throttling. Throttling. On Monday Night Football. Seattle's also had a week off. You get Russ in an indoor environment. There's rumors that they're going to try to sign Antonio Brown. Right. What is with that? I Look, I think the Seahawks have it's not that they they've tried to get playmakers through the years you know yeah uh, john schneider's he's gone after um josh gordon he well josh gordon but uh he traded for sydney rice years ago he traded for jimmy graham percy harvin percy <clears throat> harvin like they've this has been their mentality but usually it's because they haven't had them 
Right, but I, they have but, them. But I think they have them, and they're just like, man, we are seeing how valuable this. Is. I mean, if it's if it takes a couple Chris Carson carries away to feed Antonio Brown with DK Metcalf, but and with Tyler Lockett and with David Moore, are you kidding me? Have the Chiefs just started like an arms race in the NFL? That's like if you're good and right. So Kansas City is the new New England, right? They're the team you have to beat if you want to make a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl, right? So if you're the the Seahawks. Like, all right, we might get through the NFC, but then we're going to have to face Kansas City in a Super Bowl, and they have, oh, my God, look at all the weapons. We might have a quarterback yeah. that can go toe-to-toe with them. <laughs> That's it. So we need more than DK and Tyler Lockett and David Moore and apparently Chris Carson. Like, we need, we need Antonio Brown in the mix and the train wreck of a headache he brings. I think that's it, though, man. That's it. We we spend our entire offseason draft analysis, free agent analysis, saying go four deep at receiver slash tight end. Five yeah. deep, you know? And if he didn't and come doing with, it. if he didn't come with any, like, package, I'd be all for it. But, wow, that's a risk to be taken when you've already got, you know, a pretty I good setup. Look, take some. you have to take some of the off-field aside. Take the locker room component out of it, maybe. How? The down, That's what, the whole thing. What's the downside? That. You can't like park what? the downside for a minute. What's the downside? What, what are you talking about? That's the downside. Well, how, what, how does that affect things? How does it affect things? How did it affect the last two teams he blew up? The only way, it, the only thing it affects is if you prepared to have Antonio Brown and then you don't have him. No, so say if, for the Raiders. What if you bring him in and he actually there's a bunch of people that warm to him and then you have to boot him out the door because he goes crazy again. Then you're the then you're the five and O Seahawks that you are right now with DK no, Metcalf you're and Tyler. The five and O Seahawks that you are right now, except you just pissed off a bunch of people that got to be his buddy and now he's gone. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Of course players, it matters. Players' feelings don't matter. Of course they, they matter. They do not. Yes, they do. They do not. It only affected say, the Raiders last year because they had nobody to replace them. It affected the Patriots last year because they had nobody to replace them. You take this chance because the payout is so much greater than the downside. How much greater is it when you already have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett? Um, I think, you know, they had Josh Gordon last year for a little bit, and he only showed up in a couple games, but I think that's okay. I mean, I think it's you have a couple games where maybe DK does get shut down by somebody or doesn't have a great matchup, right? And it's like, oh, I can go to Antonio Brown now. I think having options. The best teams, I think, have options to win individual games differently. All right? I don't want to spend too much time on Antonio Brown because he's not there. But the Seahawks passing game has been incredible. Russell Wilson right now are currently currently our highest-graded quarterback now that Aaron Rodgers had that rough game. Stinker. Um, can Arizona actually slow down this offense? No. No, they can't. Um, I'm also so the thing that's interesting is is that side of the ball to me. They are kind of going in a similar way to Seattle in terms of they don't have any pass rushers anymore. Like Channel yeah. Jones is down. He was their primary source of pass rushers. So suddenly it's let's fire Buda Baker on the blitz. And he Buda was there. making plays all oh, over the field Monday night. Great that was game. awesome. He's one of those fun guys. You see it at every single level. There's somebody that just plays the game at a different speed. Yeah. And like most people, when they're running towards somebody to make a tackle, ease up before they get yeah. there, right? You don't run through the dude because, I mean, usually there's breaking down or whatever, but like you don't just run and accelerate and keep accelerating through the body that you're about to contact. Buda Baker does. He doesn't slow down. And sometimes it's going to be bad and he's going to miss a tackle because of it because just before he arrives, the guy, you know, takes a, a half step either way and you just, you hit a soft shoulder. But when it works, it just looks so much fun. 
Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things in football is to watch a safety have an all-around game like Buda Baker had, where he had uh, a forced fumble, he had an interception, he had a sack, uh, two other pressures. They're using him as a blitzer. He blitzed 11 times mm-hmm. in that game. So that is the, the similarity to Seattle there is how they're using Jamal Adams. And it's because, um, why do you have to blitz Buda Baker 11 times? Because Chandler Jones is hurt, yes. And no one else has a pass rush grade above 70. Yeah, they had nine, the nine different guys rush the passer more than 10 times in that game. And, and another two rush the passer eight and nine times, respectively. So they are sending everybody to try and make up for that lack of pass, like lack of pure one-on-one ability to win a pass rush. From an Arizona standpoint, I do think one of the interesting developments is Hassan Reddick, who they did not pick up his fifth-year option, former mm-hmm. first-round pick had a really rough transition to linebacker his first three years in the league. And now um, he was a college edge rusher, right? Yeah. And they're actually sending him. They've sent him 111 times this year. Um, his, you know, he's, he, they did that a little bit more his rookie season, but they're, they're trying to like get something right. out of him. And yep. that's been better than, you know, having him try to play zone coverage, which he really struggled with. So that's always where he should have been playing. Yeah, it's kind of one of those guys that we always talk about at draft time. Like, oh, this guy's going to create third down indecision for your offense. Um, But either way, the point that Arizona has to scheme up pressure, Mm -hmm. it does leave holes on the back end. And I think it's Dre Kirkpatrick and Patrick Peterson on the outside, both grading under 60. Dre had that pick where he form-tackled C.D. Lamb before picking it up. That was amazing. Um, But that could be a mismatch for Seattle. The other thing this does is put Isaiah Simmons on the field more. Because they're, you know, again, things have had to change because Chandler Jones isn't there anymore. So Simmons is actually earning some more playing time, um, which is at the moment a concern because he's basically a walking bullseye at this point, right? Like he is a potential weak link in that secondary until he shows otherwise. And he got away with it. I mean, don't say he got away with it. Dallas didn't exploit it, but we've seen teams exploit it before this season. The Seahawks feel like a team, particularly with Russell Wilson that will target that more if you give him the bullseye on defense to go after. Um, other side of the ball, Seattle, as you know, we talked about their their issues getting pressure. It's been a little bit better in recent weeks, but there's no there's nobody up front that just wins one-on-ones. Like if they picked up an Ngakwe or if they traded for a J.J. Watt or something, I could, oh, JJ. Right? I could see that being a, a thing that they would be investigating in Seattle. But that matchup against Arizona, Kyler Murray – I always talk about his floor being high because of rushing. That was him the other night. He was like 9 for 24, two big passes that, you know, were kind of wide open, and then a whole bunch of yards on the ground, and their offense scores a ton of points. So I do think that's a huge factor is the fact that he can scramble for 60 or 70 yards in a game and kind of cover up a 9 for 24 outing. Yeah, his passing hasn't taken the step people thought it would. And we kind of highlighted that before the season, said, look, there's some numbers from his rookie year that are not tremendously encouraging in terms of how he's going to progress right. from a passing standpoint, right? His um, performance uh, in rhythm and without pressure and first read, all these kinds of things weren't good. Uh, and those are the stable things. They're, they're the things that don't tend to take giant leaps one year to the next. And that's kind of what we're seeing. Like he hasn't taken the step for, and people are sort of saying he might be, he's a worse player because of it. But I, the point is that he's stepped up as a runner and like he has, I think he has the most scramble yards in the NFL by a distance. He has the second most designed rushing yards behind only Lamar, and it's like 10 yards. Yeah. So overall, like he has a commanding lead in terms of overall quarterback rushing yards. Plus, 
He's got six t- rushing touchdowns. Like he's become this um, goal line nightmare in terms like a, a trump card, right? You get down to the goal line and it's, oh, crap. Kyler Murray is this thing that we have to work. Like he's a Cam Newton down by the goal line, except instead of power running over your head, he's taking it around the edge and making defensive backs fall over without touching him. Like he's become this red zone, end zone um, matchup problem for a team who's not used to dealing with it. Seattle's favored by three and a half. Yeah. On the road. I, I'm leaning Seattle, but I think if Arizona's going to win this game, I'm leaning Seattle to cover as well. If Arizona's going to win this game, I think you're going to have all of their offensive stuff is going to come together. The deep shots to Isabella and Kirk. DeAndre Hopkins is going to make some big boy plays. Um, by the way, do you think, I don't know if you've watched closely enough on, on Hopkins, does he look quicker yes, this year? I have thought that. Um, I've also, it's tough, right? I It's difficult to know if he does look quicker or if he's being used in ways that the Texans didn't necessarily More use. space instead of just vertical right. routes and everything. Yeah, yeah. and the, the, the scheme generally, I think, is giving him yeah. space to work with that he didn't necessarily have he's, before. He's forced nine missed tackles after yeah. the catch. And he always kind of had that that skill, you would see these plays every now and again in Houston. It's like, wow, I didn't kind of know DeAndre Hopkins could do that. Right. But he can. It's just that if you like, if you give him the space to do that instead of just feeding him a million hitch routes, like he can right. make some plays. And now we're seeing what happens when you spread everything wide and he's got more space to operate in. He's getting the ball with more room, which lets him run off the catch more, and you speed. see some of that. Sorry, speed and agility yeah. all just look top-notch right now. So right. I think this is... If Arizona's going to win, I think you're talking about Nuke with like 12 catches for a buck 50 and really right. taking over. I do like Seattle in this one, though, and the, also, the Seahawks staying hot here. I mean, those deep shots that they didn't hit except for the one to Christian Kirk, like they, if they can connect, connect on a couple of those, I mean, those are game-changing yeah. plays, right? The first one, actually, honestly, they both kind of look like Isabella made a balls of them to me. Yeah. I think those were both very catchable passes from Kyla Murray. The first one, I don't know if Isabella lost it or if he just do. Didn't bend his route early enough to come across the field, but that looked kind of where it should have been thrown. And then the second one, I have no idea why you would break off your route and head towards the sideline 25 yards downfield. I don't have any idea what the hell he was doing there, but those were two plays that could have been, you know, immediate field flipping uh, passes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Speaking of our terms, um, send uh, our friend Andrew Siciliano a text. First off, congratulate him for being COVID-free. I did. Second, I sent him a – well, no, I sent him a, tw- a tweet to congratulate him. I sent how come him you a, have everybody's phone number and I don't? You have Joe Thomas's number. Yeah, me and Joe Andrew. text. Um, um, but tell Andrew, um, if if Isabella makes a play, we need a r- Russian pencil. Yes, yes. Okay, so that will be this week's mm-hmm. this week's Easter egg on the DirecTV Red Zone. He got uh, – yeah, he got false positive. Yeah. Had to sit out. Had to take a seat I've, on the bench. I've been there. Yeah? It, mine wasn't false positive. Right, it was, was late. a positive positive. Yeah, but it was a positive two weeks after I had my symptoms. Yeah. Positives can stay there forever. That's still kind of different from a false positive. It's a positive positive, but it's a late one. He was incorrectly told that he had COVID and had to park himself for a week of action. You were correctly told that you had COVID just after it made any difference. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing, kind of. All right. Where are you going with this one? Seattle and Arizona. I am taking Seattle, and I don't know if they'll cover or not. Oh, that's how confident I am in this bit. That's a good answer. Weird <laughs> stuff happens in Arizona and weird stuff happens in division games. Yeah. So I could see Arizona pulling this one off. Plus, I mean, every Seattle game is weird in general. So, all right, let's go to Sunday night football. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders coming off of a bye. Uh, Bucks just played the Packers coming off of a bye too. Back-to-back mm. bye teams. Uh, it's, in the, it's in the Vegas Dome. And uh, 
you know, it could have been a big return home for Tom Brady, but they moved. They moved out of the Bay Area yeah. to Vegas. That's a nice stadium, though. Uh, Bucks. So in the last two weeks, the Bucks lost to the Bears on Thursday Night Football. Yeah, and then they demoralize the Packers. Yeah, but the the demoralizing of the Packers is what's getting all of the publicity. It's the last thing that we saw. Yeah, they're up to three in the PFF Power Rankings, our mm-hmm. ELO rankings. They just made a statement. Are we overrating that one game statement that the Bucks made? No, because I don't like. It, it's not like they got their ass kicked against the Bears. Like they had Tom Brady had the ball with a drive to win the game and forgot how many downs there are in football. Right? That's not something you legislate for typically. You know, one of yeah. the things that's a common theme throughout all those comeback wins of Tom Brady's career is that he's been able to count how many downs there are. He knows. I mean, he's very good at that. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame one day. Yeah. Um, but he forgot against the Bears, so they lost. Uh, I don't think that's massively indicative of some like huge failing of this team. I, I think it's fair to say that they might not be a 38-10 to 10 win against Green Bay better than, you know, the best teams in the NFC, which is potentially a, a conclusion you could draw. But I, I think it's fair to say – I think it's fair to say that that game means more than – the result of the Chicago game, which is a loss. Um, that game, they had 38 unanswered points against yeah, it was the Green 10 Bay Packers. It was 10 nothing quickly. Right. Yeah. And then nothing. Nothing from that point on. Right. That's kind of nuts. Yeah, the Bucks defense, you know, not to repeat ourselves again, but it is so tough to say, this defense is elite. They'll do it every week. But right. as far as capable defenses <laughs> go, all the pieces are in place. And then you see that game. where Jamel Dean has the highest coverage grade in the NFL right now, the cornerback from Auburn, who's just... I remember evaluating him in college. I'm like, why is this linebacker mm. out here playing corner? Yeah. And then he goes to the combine and runs sub 4-4. Turns out that's why. Yeah, because yeah. he's really good. And Carlton Davis is really good, too. I mean, those guys can beat you up in press coverage. And then the speed at which Levante David is playing. And, you know, Devin White, the grade's not great. He's not always in the right position. But there, it's kind of like there's enough splash plays in there that it's, yeah. you know, it, it kind of works for them. Um there's just speed at every level, and they are doing a really good job of getting after it. This now becomes, though, this fascinating chess match, right? Because they unleashed the blitz against Rodgers. They didn't start off that way, but then they got to him like at one point in the game. They got to him with the blitz, and it's like, oh, maybe. Because usually you don't blitz Aaron Rodgers, right? right? He carves it up along with every other like elite quarterback in the NFL. So they like took a, took a swing at it. Um, it worked, and it's like, oh, hang on. Then you blitz them again and again and again. And it's like every time you do, it's working. So they just sent the house, right? 51% of the time, they blitzed Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and they didn't, and they weren't doing it at the start of the game. Right. So from like a point in the game, they basically just blitzed him every play. And he never figured it out or never was able to get past it. Um, so that sets up this really interesting situation heading into the next week because you – you basically you put all this on tape, right? You basically put all of your blitzes on tape for the Raiders to see. So what do you do next? It's like this sort of situation, you know, like a penalty shootout, right? If you've gone like in the same direction a couple of times, well, now what do you do the next time, right? Do you keep going that way because eventually one of them's got to go to the to your left, or do you go the other way now? So the 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 Bucks blitzed the crap out of Aaron Rodgers and it worked really well. So now you're facing Derek Carr and the Raiders. Do you stick with what worked, knowing that you put it all on tape and that they had a chance to look at and figure out what was going? Or do you anticipate that's what they're going to have studied and instead this week it's going to be all eight-man zones and there's not going to be a blitz in sight? Well, I think it's in Bull's nature to do that. And he's kind of... Which? 
it, to, to get after it. But but he's also kind of like your Rex Ryans or the way the Ravens play or the way certain teams, even when you're not blitzing, there's the threat and you're crowding the line of scrimmage and there's some trust in the corners on the outside. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of week to week with them too. They played really soft against Nick Foles and the Bears. Yeah. Right. They played a lot of soft zone and Foles kind of picked it, There was a point where Foles did a nice job picking them apart underneath. Um, so they're back and forth, but I could see them staying aggressive. Um, the Henry Ruggs factor though, right? Mm-hmm. Do you, Jamel Dean's a monster and he's fast and all that stuff, but nobody's Henry Ruggs fast. How much does that continue to open things up for this Raiders offense? And also it, I mean, this is, this is a good way of beating Derek Carr and the Raiders on paper, right? They want to take the short stuff. They want to get quick passes. You can be aggressive and force him to essentially, if you're going to win, you're going to need to connect on these deep shots over the top. Um, and now the Raiders are really capable of doing that because you've got Henry Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar has been a good deep threat as well. Like they have players that can win over the top, but they, they clearly still don't like doing it, right? It's right. not in Derek Carr's nature to be an aggressive downfield passer constantly. He'll take the shot to back you off, but it's not like if, you, if you're going to come after him all day long and essentially dare him to do that, I don't know if he's willing to do that. If he's willing to say, all right, I'm going to put the ball deep 10 times today because that's what they're showing me on on tape. Um, blitz numbers for Carr. A grade is 63 compared to a 72 when not blitzed. But the passer rating, the stats are better against the blitz. 123.5 passer rating in 9.6 yards per attempt against the blitz. Right, because and they haven't of been those blitzed a deep ton. shots. Yeah, so um, it w- that will be a fun little cat and mouse game with the Tampa Bay uh, defense going up against the Raiders offense. On the other side of the ball, the Raiders are coming off a performance where it, you know, Cleveland Farrell and um, Max Crosby Farrell, had a ton of pressures, but it wasn't a dominant outing from them necessarily. It was it, this was against the Chiefs a couple weeks ago. It was Patrick Mahomes inviting pressure. Right. I don't expect the pass rush to get home against Brady's quick release. The Bucks pretty good offensive line. So then it becomes Bucks receivers against the Raiders back seven. In a dome, yeah, I feel like the Bucks have the advantage here because they're back to full strength. They're all on the injury report: Mike Evans, Scotty Miller, Chris Godwin. But they're getting a couple weeks removed yeah. from where the injury started. So I think the Bucks should have the advantage here. Right, they're recovering as opposed to you know new injuries. Yeah, I, I mean we talked about this on Mina's podcast. The Bucks, I think, are rounding into the kind of team that they could be for the rest of this season. I, it, you know, there's so much talent on this team. There's so much good coming together that. And with the weird offseason and lack of preseason, it felt like it was going to take some time. So this week one showdown of Tampa Bay versus New Orleans, everyone's like, oh, this could be an NFC Championship game preview. Yeah, but we're probably not going to see it week one because the Bucs are going to take a bit of work, right? But like now might be the time where this is all coming together. The defense is in its groove. The offense is starting to figure out what it is. The receivers are getting healthy. They haven't had most of them for the first few weeks of the season. The Bucks from here on in could look like the best team in the NFL. Um, we're obligated by contract not to talk about the run game, but Ronald Jones running the ball pretty well lately. In in, just, oh, sorry, go on. I'm just joking about the run game oh. thing, but yeah. In along the theme of you know, does DeAndre Hopkins look faster? Does Ronald Jones look bigger to you? A little bit. He's playing with more power. Yeah. I would say in he's general. always played with pretty good power. I mean, even when yeah. he was like skinny, but. Just this last week, I was like, hmm, did he look that big before? Like, has he added some 
been in the uh, the weight room, he, added a few pounds. He might be on the TB12 method, but that doesn't get no, you. No, that's the other way. That's that's the other. He's, he leans you out. He's as far away from TB12 right. as possible. Um, the Raiders have the fourth worst run defense grade, the worst tackling grade. So again, as much as we talk pass game, pass game, pass game, the Bucks are going to run the ball. They do like to have some semblance of balance on offense, and I think it could be another one of those 100-yard games for Ronald Jones. And if that's within the flow of the game, it's beneficial, not just, you know, grinding the clock at the end. So I like the Bucks in this one, Sam. Where are you going with this? It's a three-and-a-half-point uh, spread. Bucks favored here on the road. Yeah, I like the Bucks. As I say, I think they could be the best team in the NFL for a while. Yeah. If, you know, that pass game coming together, Brady and Arians, get to see how it develops. All right, Monday Night Football. Chicago Bears at the Los Angeles Rams. It's all the primetime games this week. Yeah, there's some good ones. This will be, oh man, this will, they've had some good battles the last couple of years. Uh, 2018 was a good one. Rams go to the Super Bowl, but the Bears beat them mm. in Chicago. So this one's in LA. Rams are coming off that loss last week against who? My mind just went San blind. Francisco. Against the 49ers, right there on Sunday Night Football. Nice job, Steve. Um, and the Bears, are they the worst 5 and 1 team we've ever seen? Our friends, they're not really friends. Football outsiders, I think Aaron Schatz. Um, he's a you know we, I do panels with him and every now and then we talk. Oh, yeah. We're okay, okay. not friends, but you know we hang out um, once a year. And um, <laughs> I think they actually looked it up in their numbers. And the Bears are not the worst five and one team in their extensive okay. database. So just to answer that question, in your mind though, no. worst five and one team in I history? Don't think I don't think they're a bad team. I, I think... know you like them. I put you on the spot about the Bears every single week. The problem is, can they beat the Rams here? They're six point underdogs at LA. If you don't have a good quarterback, people think you suck. Like the rest of the roster is good. There's a reason that they're five and one, despite not having good quarterback play, and it's because they're a good team. Last time we talked about this was two years ago. The, the Panthers were six and two, and every week we said this is the worst, whatever well, yeah, team in history, been. and they went from six and two to six yeah. and six pretty quickly. We were right. Uh, I, this is a sick. The Rams are six point favorites. So Vegas doesn't isn't buying. Like the the Bears barely have a positive the point Rams differential. Just lost to the 49ers. Yeah, but the 49ers. That was are, the 49ers first win outside of New Jersey. Yeah, but the 49ers, they, they, the Rams have things only, came together. The Rams are 4-0 against the NFC East and 0-2 against not the NFC East. I get it. And they're six-point favorites against the Bears, who are 5-1 and one and quite good. Yeah, I understand. I, I can't wait to see this Bears defense match up against the Rams and McVay. They did a great job. They've done a good job of you know slowing down that offense. The Niners did a good job of slowing down that offense and taking away some of the easy stuff. Yeah. Um, I think it's a low-scoring game, but explain to me how they're six-point favorites. Justify it. Justify Vegas for me. Nick Foles has put up four straight weeks of grades in the sixties. When you do winning. that, you're going to score fifteen to twenty points a game. All right. Over time, that's what's going to happen. Okay. And the Rams have playmakers like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, who are not going to drop the ball like they did on Sunday night against the Forty ers huh. They're going to catch the ball this time. Really? And they've got a couple tight ends that are tough to cover. Yeah. And the Rams have more offensive firepower. That's it. And Jared Goff is playing like a top 10 quarterback. Do they have more offensive firepower? They have the ability to get the ball to their firepower more. As the way Nick Foles oh, is playing that's, right now. We're changing now. And now, that, it's, now they don't have more offensive firepower. They just have I mean, if Jared Goff of... was throwing to Allen Robinson and uh, Darnell Mooney, uh -huh. Cole Komet's going to emerge as yeah. a nice tight end threat for my uh, dynasty team. Um, the... I just like the Ra I like the Rams offense better. Okay, I could buy that. I'm just I don't see I don't see a six point swing. Um, 
the Rams scored 16 against the 49ers, who don't have a particularly good defense at the moment. Look, I would, I would probably take the Bears to cover. But I also have, I really need this theory tested by, um, by our friends over at the PFF forecast. Yeah. When the hypothetical tier three or even tier four quarterback, my theory is that the, you just can't predict those games from a gambling standpoint. Yeah. Compared to, you know, tier one or two oh, quarterbacks. Dude, like, you don't, like, Nick Foles, the most volatile quarterback in the NFL. Why would you ever want to put money on that? I wouldn't. Because it could go anywhere. Right. Like, statistically, you know it can go anywhere. I would just point out, though, that the Rams have scored 20 or fewer points uh, three times this season. So, for all this high power, and they've played the NFC East, remember? the All of it. Yeah, I and think... The Bears have a good defense. They're playing a safe brand of off. I mean, they're playing a safe brand of football. Not a lot of big-time throws from Goff. He threw a dime. He had the big-time throw of the week last week, by the way. Oh, he yeah? dropped. Dropped along the sideline by Woods. Not a lot of big-time throws. Not a lot of turnover. It's just a safe brand of football. Yes. But they're ready to They're ready to unload. I do think that Aaron Donald against Chicago's interior offensive line is a pretty massive mismatch. Yes. Um, which... I mean, I, we talked about this, or I talked about this on Miami radio, maybe. Uh, talking about the Tua thing, right? You, If you know you're facing Aaron Donald, you can remove him from the game, right? You can scheme him out of it. You can get rid of the ball quickly. You can run away from him. You can double team him. You can do all kinds of stuff to make sure that Aaron Donald is not a factor in the game. But you do need to do that because if you don't, he will destroy you. Like, it's, it's simple, right? You, If you game plan for him, he can be eliminated. But you have to actually consciously do that for 60-something plays in a game. Because if you don't, he will ruin your life. And if you're Chicago and you have a pretty bad interior to begin with, and Nick Foles, who's capable of just like blindly heaving the ball into triple coverage when he's under pressure, you do need to go ahead and do that. Because if you decide that, you know what, we're just going to execute our game plan, execute better than they will, and that's how we win the game. You will die. He will wreck your game, right. and it will be night-night. And that's six points right there. So that's like the first step, right? If we come out and Chicago has no interest in dedicating extra resources to Aaron Donald, the Rams will win and the Rams will cover six points. If they do that, however, I think they have a good shot of winning this game. Uh, Khalil Mack is back. Yeah. Which is nice. I, um, just I don't think it's at, coincidence, by the way, that he's back when Akeem Hicks is back. Yeah. I mean, there's something to that. I, I will say, looking back at the last couple of years, remember in 2018, the Bears defense was really incredible. The Rams offense was rolling. And this was when the Rams offense started to slow down at the end of the year, and the Bears held them to six points yep. on Sunday Night Football. Last year, they held them to 17 in a loss. So the Bears do have a history of slowing down the offense and keeping it close. All right. Hmm. All right. You talking me back into it? Yeah. No, six is rich. I agree six is rich. I like, I like Chicago to cover. I like the Rams to win. If for nothing else, I think the Bears being five and one. I'm gonna. I'm a couple weeks in, in a row, probably gonna be yeah. saying this. Like they're, they have to come back down to earth. I like the Rams to win, Bears to cover. I have gone the same way, but I really wouldn't be shocked if Chicago won this outright. Oh man, you are the biggest. Once they got rid of Trubisky, well, look, even when they had him, you've become the biggest uh, Bears fan. Trubisky was playing well enough that he wasn't preventing a good team winning games. Foles has come in and hasn't two weeks. hasn't really upgraded on Trubisky. And they're still winning games. And he hasn't played well. Like, at some point, Foles is actually going to play well, and this team is going to look like the 85 Bears, let alone the 2020 ones. Like, I, this is a foundationally good team. Not fundamentally. This is a foundationally good team, 
that has pieces. It just needs a quarterback, and they haven't got one yet. If they do, like the ceiling is high. Forget the floor. The fact that they, you know, five and one is a myth. Like this is a better team than five and one if they get a quarterback. You're just gonna keep your thesaurus handy. Well, I now need another one because I've used fundamental and fundamental. The source yeah. open. And I need and a just third. Roll through, roll through the options. I'll right. give you some time cool. to do that. I'm taking the Rams to win. Bears to cover. Yeah. All right. Green Bay Packers at the Houston Texans. Did you hear the question that was posed to Aaron Rodgers in his response yesterday? No. Man, we should get that clip. What is it? Pulled in. It was something to the effect of, you know, how do you feel about our teams catching on to you, oh. essentially, coming off that game? And Aaron gave this reporter the death stare. And he was like, one game out of five? Hmm. And then, you know, people are like, oh, rest in peace, Houston. 60 points coming up. And I don't disagree. Hmm. Yeah, I mean. Three and a half points, by the way. Green Bay's favorite at Houston. But, you know, going back to this indoor environment with Aaron Rodgers chucking it around. Um, coming off of this ridiculous loss. And I have some stats for you. Yes. Aaron Rodgers has. Um, let me pull them up exactly. He's got three games grading under 50. Okay. Yeah. Three games grading under 50 over the, since 2016. And he's come out of those games, the, ne- the following game, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. Pretty much just dominant the next week. And all of his PFF grades are 78 or better in those games. So he does – on one hand, you like the, the, the mental aspect of it. You're like, oh, he just knows how to bounce back, mm. right? And then like the statistical aspect of it is like, well, Aaron Rodgers is really, really good. Yeah. So if you're really bad one week, you're going to be good. No matter which way you look at it, we're probably not going to see 45 PFF grade Aaron Rodgers this week at Houston. No. I mean, the Texans have a bad defense. So Aaron Rodgers against bad defense, we've seen five weeks of that, and he was the best quarterback in the NFL. That's probably closer to where he's going to be than a guy who couldn't score for most of the game against Tampa Bay because they blitzed the hell out of him. I also wonder if Aaron Rodgers, the last couple of years, he's been more of like the eighth to 10th best quarterback in the league mm-hmm. by our grades. Is he just going to continue to regress back to that? And it's really going to be a lot, you know, a lot of good game, bad game, good game, bad game until he gets there. Or is it literally 11 to 14 or, you know, 2011, 2014 Rodgers is back minus one game? Yeah. And you're also now in this position where it's, it's the reverse of what Tampa Bay are dealing with this week. If you're Houston, you just saw a game plan that beat the crap out of Aaron Rodgers. Blitz the hell out of him, right? 51% of the snaps, they blitzed him and he couldn't deal with it all game long. So what do you do? Do you say, well, that worked really well. Let's try a bit of that. Or do you say, Rogers has spent the last week trying to figure out why he couldn't deal with the blitz. So let's probably not blitz him because he's going to be ready for it this week. And again, typically Aaron Rodgers carves up the blitz. Like this season against the blitz, he's been pretty good. And that includes the Tampa Bay game. Like he stripped that out. He's... Aaron Rodgers still. Yeah, the problem with duplicating that game plan is Bradley Roby is on the other end, you know, playing corner. He said he had a nice interception last week. He's made some nice plays. He's doing all right. But Vernon Hargraves playing on the other side. I mean, it's the guys you're trotting out at cornerback for Houston. Um, again, I do the Sean Salisbury show every week, and I feel like a broken record. Like, how does Houston fix this this year? I'm like, I don't see it. I don't see how they fix it defensively, at least. Um, by the way, Deshaun Watson quietly tied for the league lead in yards per attempt, eight per not eight point nine. As much as we've talked about, how's he going to do without DeAndre Hopkins? They're figuring it out well, offensively. He's, he's bounced back against some bad defenses, right? But I think 
they can hang in a shootout, but it's going to come down to do you trust Houston to stop Green Bay with um, nope. really no pass rush? Uh, Zach Cunningham, I am just so disappointed in little Zach. He is, he's big Zach, but disappointed in his play this year. Well, you can call him little Zach. He's shorter and lighter than you. Yes. Um, Ten missed tackles already this year. Busted gaps in the run game. That's the other part. Let's talk run game again. If if Zach Cunningham continues to play with terrible gap discipline, we're talking Aaron Jones going for 150 or 200 yards here too. Yeah, so will help. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, really this comes down to what Houston can do on offense because I agree with you that Rodgers is going to set fire to them on defense. They're going to cover? Uh, Green Bay, three and, three and a half. half. I, yeah, I mean, I could see that. I think so too. Aaron Rodgers back on the revenge tour. Let's go to the NFC South. Carolina Panthers at... The New Orleans Saints. Seven and a half for the Saints. This is a battle of the conservative quarterbacks. Like Which guy is going to grow a pair for this game and actually push the ball down the field a little bit? Drew Brees, you know, old man Brees couldn't complete anything for the first couple of weeks. It was beyond like four yards from the line of scrimmage. Last couple, he's been a little bit more aggressive, but it's like he's still been one of the most conservative quarterbacks in terms of pushing the ball down the field. Teddy Bridgewater with Robbie Anderson there with DJ Moore. He's become more aggressive than his baseline, but is still one of the most conservative quarterbacks in the NFL, both in terms of average depth of target and in terms of percentage of deep passes in his in his attempts. So like this game could come down to like which guy is just prepared to uncork one down the field. I also think, I mean, from the Saints offense has still moved the ball pretty well. Yeah. With that style. So who... And so have the Panthers. Like, they've both been fun- yeah. functionally okay. The question is, that's the thing, right? If you're going back and forth with a guy and both of you are just trying to, like, win, you know, bit by chip away at this thing, bit by bit. Like, you can just cu- you can cut all that out if I just, like, go deep one time. You know what I mean? Like, just, Robbie Anderson's flying past somebody over there. Let's just I mean, heave one. I'm just saying from, like, a Saints point of view that underneath game plan might work pretty well against this defense. Shaq Thompson, he's okay. Coverage linebacker, he has a lot asked of him. Um, but the grades haven't been great the last couple of years to hear Whitehead. I mean, they've just got guys playing in space that you could probably take advantage of with that with sure. that system. Jeremy Chin, his grades are going to creep back here, buddy. Nice interception last week. He's the, he's the guy that's breaking our system, the rookie safety slash linebacker slash uh, slot corner. What what do you call him from a position standpoint? He's kind of like what Isaiah Simmons was at Clemson. He's doing a million different things, and um, you know it's tough to be excellent at right. all of those things. Um, but yeah, I think you know Cornelder's playing pretty well for the Panthers. I, it's a fascinating year for the Panthers because I think on paper they're not good, um, but they're capable on offense, and they've got some intriguing players on defense that are going to be a part of this rebuild here. So division games, you never know, but I feel good about the saints coming off the bye here putting yeah. a little whooping on the uh, panthers here you think a whooping you think they'll i think it looks more saints like you know i mean i think they'll win but i think this could actually be kind of close seven and a half i'll take i'll take the saints here All you're right. a teddy guy though well i mean look i think i'm really a robbie anderson guy at this point like oh. he's been we already knew he was one of the best deep threats in the NFL, but this season, because he's been paired with Teddy, this pathologically conservative quarterback, he's shown that he's got everything else as well. Like he can run off the catch, he can operate across the middle of the field as well. Like Anderson has become a well rounded number one receiver, not just this guy who can take the top off your defense. Yeah, I do like that 
Anderson and DJ Moore as like a one-two punch are looking really good together. So they are, as a tandem, pretty good. And also, like, quietly, well, not even quietly, the Saints' defense has kind of sucked. They're great on paper, but none of them are actually playing that well. And we talked about that on Mina's podcast. Do we expect them to just play to their ability at some point, and then they become scary? Paper champion Saints. Or do we call that a weakness? I think this game will will be telling. Teddy's in a... I'm always fascinated when you have a guy that knows the offense, though, too. Teddy knows the offense and how much... It feels like something that you could take advantage of, but it, you know, it happens all the time in football. Team People change teams. But knowing the offense and knowing when they check and how they check, and if you show this, they're going to do that, there's an advantage to that. I don't know how much Carolina can tap into that from, from Teddy's standpoint, but I think that's another interesting storyline. Um, I, I like the Saints, though. I like them, I like them to cover 7.5, too. I'm a big favorite guy. All right. I'm going to take the Panthers to cover, but the Saints to win. Shoot, who's Clemson playing this week? Let's skip this next game. Clemson has... Come on, give me, give me a schedule. Can't get a schedule? Oh, dear. Because well, the Bills and Jets are next up on our list here. Oh, but I've actually got something to watch in this one that isn't the Jets. Uh, we This is the Josh Allen game, right? We've had... We had apology form Josh Allen where he was like a, an MVP candidate. And then we had the actual Josh Allen from the first two years... For the last two weeks. Oh, he's like, coming back. Who's coming week. back this week? Four touchdown Josh Allen. Real, like, oh, yeah. elite apology form Josh Allen Jets. is coming back this week? Syracuse at Clemson, Saturday at noon. All right. Check out Trevor Lawrence. Um, his game, I mean, Jets fans, if you did watch Trevor Lawrence last week against Georgia Tech, like, you're you rooting for some L's here. Jets yeah. fans. He looked legit. He had one pick. Yeah. He, he throws cover two shots and outside the number passes, like, how, in his sleep. I mean, I know. So every time the next great generational quarterback comes out, it's like he's the best since, right? So who is he the best since? Because most people go back to Andrew Luck. I saw Renner from the two for one draft podcast. He went further. Went further. Now I don't think he actually put a a stop on it. He just said he's better than Luck. So that takes you back to who Manning. I mean, who is the best pre Luck? You have to do it as a prospect, right? Yeah, you got to give me a. You got to give me the prospect that you stop at. Yeah, but like so, luck Drew was twenty twelve. Like, what happens when it, like Drew Brees came out and was no, a no, second no. rounder? People, not a prospect. Don't not interested. He was a prospect, but they just got misevaluated. Bad prospect. Not interested. Andrew Luck was the best prospect since Peyton Manning. Is that the the one before Andrew Luck? Yeah, I mean the only people that even have that title, I think, Andrew Luck twenty twelve, Peyton Manning nineteen ninety eight, John Elway nineteen eighty three. Yeah. Okay. Before that, I don't even know who it was. So we're the best since Peyton. Best since Peyton. Yeah. And if not, I'm just got to go to the best since Elway. Yeah, but it, to say that, that he's better than Peyton, like nobody can go past Peyton. Nobody? No. It's, people because didn't even know that Ryan. People didn't even know he was better than Ryan Lee in '98. But it's a, like when I hear he's the best since Elway, I feel like it's implying well he'll have a better career than Peyton Manning. No, just that he was a better prospect. Well, then he's a better prospect than Peyton. You haven't probably. understood this this concept at all. No, because prospect is like you're taking a million different opinions and it's just this yeah. like phantom it's perception like, thing. It's, it's a combination of like cleanest prospect plus ceiling. He's clean with a high ceiling. That's what he's, I'm saying. He's clean with a high ceiling. So he might be the best prospect since Elway. Well, because you have the rushing ability in there too. Like he can run. Right. He's 6'6 six, six with a cannon, accurate, good decision maker and can run. Peyton couldn't. Peyton couldn't run. Right. I mean, could a little bit, but you know, not didn't he? Not really. 
But he also did Peyton didn't have a cannon, but didn't matter because everything else made up for right. it. So yeah, I mean Lawrence's ceiling is closer to I mean, he's closer to John Elway. But Look, you could say the same thing about I'm luck. I'm trying to help you out here. Let I'm me trying, describe luck. I'm trying to get you everything. I'm trying to get you your moment on TV so that you can be like Neil's he pop. is the best prospect since John Elway. And you do can we, put that up. Do we let Neil become a star? I'm not sure it's sensible to plug Neil live into the podcast. No. Neil, I'll call you back, buddy. Anyway. So uh, to camera, you need to be like best prospect since Elway. Trevor Lawrence, Clemson, the best quarterback prospect since John Elway. That's it. There you go. Now you're going to go viral all because of me. That's it. Yeah. All right. That's good. He'll live up to it. So watch the uh, Syracuse Clemson game. Buffalo's favored by 13 against the Jets at New York. Any reason to believe the Jets can keep this one close? Uh, no, there isn't, Steve. The Jets are bad and the Bills aren't. Um, now, the Bills have some problems on defense. I think this is actually a reasonably interesting game to see if like there's any signs of life from the Jets. You know, this is a defense you can actually attack at this point. Like, do they still have that in them or are they just like a dead body that people are poking with a stick every week? Like a beach whale. No, not like a beach whale. I'm just just a, just I, a dead body in in the street. I will say poking. rematches in division. I, I'm using that as analysis a lot, but that does skew things sometimes. There's familiarity there. It is tough to get blown out by a division opponent twice. Okay, I'll just say that. I think the Jets keep it somewhat close, but the Bills pull away late. So I got the Bills uh, even 13. covering 13 on the road. No, no, give me the Jets. Jets are covering. All right, some signs of life from the beach whale. Uh, Dallas Cowboys at the Washington football team. It's a pick 'em. They can't be a beach whale because they were never big. They're just a dead body. They're just a dead body. Okay. Dallas Cowboys at the Washington football team. It's a pick 'em. Is this still Can a pick 'em? Can we just redo that whole? Yeah. Is it a pick 'em? Washington know, football team. Look, people are overrating Dallas. Dallas. I'm going to sit here and defend Dallas every week. You're going to defend Dallas? They're there are one. rumblings inside the building. There are people two are one team. Two win team. Upset in the building. They don't think the team's prepared. Yeah. I um I don't like to buy into that stuff. You don't. Dallas is a couple plays away from being four and two. And if they were four and two, with their which they're not, yeah. if they were four and two, you don't get Jane Slater, NFL Network reporting about the uh infighting between everybody at the Cowboys and all this stuff and dysfunction. They're also a miracle away from being one and five. That's one way of looking at it. But I'm just saying <laughs> I don't know if it's as dysfunctional as you know some things don't go your way and you're losing and who is their other win against they beat the they giants beat the falcons miracle on the giants, giants and the falcons right i, I well, don't even remember the one giants was overtime overtime andy dalton miracle okay and a falcons miracle this they're pretty close to zero and six <laughs> <laughs> they're as close to zero and six as they are four and two yes how's that yeah so ultimately let's put the difference and say they're two and four team that isn't good yeah they're better than the washington football team Did you get an update on the line it still seems to be a pick as far as I can work out. People are buying into Kyle Allen against this Dallas defense. I don't think they are. I think people are just finally coming around to the idea of, you know what, Dallas really does suck. What time is this game? What time is it? Yeah. I don't know. What time is it? This is going to affect my analysis. <laughs> I know it's 1 o'clock. It's 1 o'clock okay. game. It's right? a 1 o'clock game. Why does that matter? Andy Dalton's going to be so much better this week. This is not prime time? Yes. God. You can't have Andy Dalton make his first Cowboys start at night. The guy likes to go to bed at like 6 o'clock. He's, you know, early riser, early to bed. 1 o'clock game, this is his wheelhouse. Andy Dalton spreading the ball around to all of these Cowboys playmakers this week. Dallas is going to bounce back. Dallas is going to – they got an easy schedule moving forward. 
we're going to be sitting here a few weeks from now like, man, look at Andy and, this, and the Dallas team. They're really turning things around. Who is his left tackle? It doesn't matter. Who is his left tackle? Both hurt. Both out for the season. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Well, no, not out for the season. Brandon Knight is going to come back. Knight's going to come back? He's having surgery, but he's out for this game. For when I saw surgery, surgery, I think I just assumed. No, it's, it's one of those like go in, tidy it up. It'll be a couple of weeks surgeries. Um, but the point is he's out. Uh, I, Martin is concussed. He might not be playing either. Like that offensive line is miserable. Uh, Washington's defensive front is not. He's going to have some problems. Yeah, I mean, look, Andy was supposed to be the guy with the quick release, supposed to protect the offensive line. He did he still look, will. Yeah, but he did look rusty the other night. Was my point. He I mean, was he looked a bad, tick. Period. In that game, but I'm just saying from like a pocket presence yeah. standpoint, he looked um, a tick slow. But can I? W- w- let's talk about the defense for a second, because what the hell are they doing? I'm looking at the depth chart here, and there is a lot of red and orange on that defensive side of the yeah. ball. Yeah, but they're just they're making idiotic plays. They're just not like not only are they bad and not particularly talented, and just generally not good. They're not not talented, but they're though. making boneheaded, idiotic, just basic breakdowns of what they're supposed to be doing yeah like Darrell Worley goes out there and just lets a guy run clean past him in cover three right he's got a deep third no other threats and instead like yeah. jumps into the flat all right it was at the sticks but like you're the deep third defender you yeah. there's already a guy for that one you forget that you follow the guy that's running past you because he's a problem um you know the, the Kyla Murray rushing or the uh the quick tap pass was it to um how am I blanking his name? Number 13. Kirk? Yeah. Christian? For the touchdown, right? Like, simple. The cornerback should have that. He's there. It's it's obvious. Why are you just standing there waiting for nothing to happen? Like, these guys are making basic, just simple read and react errors that you're not supposed to make on defense. <sighs> yeah. That's what makes me buy into this idea of the disquiet in the locker room stuff, by the way. Because th- one of the things that they said there is that the coaching staff is not good at teaching. They're just not yeah. communicating this stuff, right? And that that's the kind of stuff that this... But is that on both sides of the ball? I don't know. Because the offensive... St- I mean... Has Kellen, been good, right? Well, Kellen Moore's running the offense. Yes. And they have been good. And, you know, people still want to question his play calling and this and that. But like at a macro level, they're st- still scoring... So let's limit it to the defense point. for a second and say that they are making the kind of mistakes that coaches should be like jumping all over to correct the second you get in a meeting room. And we they're heard, making them every week. We heard Richard Sherman on the Chris Collinsworth podcast talk. And I credit Sherman for doing this in season because you have to be careful as a player with some of the stuff you say, right? But I think he was somewhat careful in just saying like, look, you got to run, you have to run simpler concepts, right? You have to, you can't overcomplicate it. Now, Sherman's coming from a world where they run two coverages. But also their stuff, the stuff they're breaking down isn't complicated. Like it's, yeah, but it's cover three, you're a deep third, be in the deep third. Right, but are you... You know, they're this coming is, off of a system that ran predominantly cover three but then over and over, and they rep right. it. You, it's about how you rep it. It's not like, hey, run cover three. It's are you repping all of these things yeah, enough? I don't know. And then they're like, this is crack replace down by the goal line. Again, this is simple. This is like basic stuff. This explain is not, explain uh, crack replace for our uh, – you have 10 seconds to re- – If a receiver crack blocks, I, you know, he's in his thing, comes in towards the line of scrimmage and crack blocks somebody – you as the cornerback or as the DB outside him need to replace the guy that's getting that's that got cranked. And you know this. Yes. And everybody knows this who's playing defense 
It's simple. It's like basic page one of how to play defense. And instead, the corner just stands there like, I don't even know what he was doing, just looking at it. Um, Darius Butler, former player, has been making some great breakdowns on tape on Twitter. And he has been ripping into these Cowboys mistakes. Yeah. Um, but that's like he's it's actually funny watching his videos, right? Because he's getting hugely frustrated at how simple the breakdowns are. But that's what I'm talking about. Like these are really page one things that are breaking down. I don't think that would happen if I don't think that happens through like weight of things you have to deal with. Like we are repping so many different things that I forget how to play cover three. Uh, for I, no, it's it's bad. I think it has to get better. I don't know. I, I like Dallas in this game. Real quick on Washington side, Chase Young uh, battling through injury. He's questionable again. I think he'll play. Um, is this the game that he goes off with the bad Cowboys O-line? It should be, right? Or beat up O-line. He looked a lot better last week than he did the first week back from injury. Um, he looked really good, obviously, the first couple of weeks before he got hurt. Yeah, I mean, he should have a big day given what he's facing. Where do you like? Who do you like in this game? God, I picked Dallas. I don't know why. You're against Dallas in this whole thing. Yeah, no, I'm flipping that. I'm going Washington. Flipping right. it. God, now I'm buying into Kyle Allen. I, what is this? I don't want to pick. I don't want to pick in this game. I don't like it. Skip it. We'll just skip it. Uh, Detroit Lions at the Atlanta Falcons. We mentioned a couple weeks ago this could be the Lions getting back on track. Yeah. The Falcons are two weeks removed from the interim coach bump. So, <laughs> taking the Lions. Okay. That was simple. <laughs> um, How's that? Yeah. The, okay. Lions, the Lions are simplifying. Well, they're changing it up on defense a little bit. Yes, All of their Patriots folks played really well yeah. last week. Deron Harmon, Trey Flowers, Jamie Collins, they all played pretty well. They have mixed things up far more. They are not any longer just giving people cover one every snap and saying, this is what we play, beat it. Because it turns out people were capable of beating it. So they had to mix it up. They're now running more cover three and cover two um, zone coverages, which is, I think is important because honestly, like as good as the corners they have they've assembled to try and play man coverage those guys are actually pretty good zone corners in theory as well so i don't hate that as a decision problem is if matt ryan and the falcons are cooking like they can beat zone coverage as well you oh they can beat jones everything. calvin ridley matt ryan those guys will carve up that defense as well as they will man coverage man the falcons they should be much better uh matthew stafford by the way yes lowest passing grade since his rookie season as of right now stats aren't horrible I but, really want. Can I take a victory lap over this? Because I was, I was telling people this was happening. It's five weeks in, right? But this is so obvious. Like last year, Matt Ryan had, or not Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford had the highest average depth of target of his career, and would have been the highest we've ever seen over a season, and one of the highest grades ever on those deeper targets. Of course, that was getting worse. Huge this year. big time throw percentage, which yeah. which does regress. It was like an outstanding outlier season at the hard things, despite the highest average depth of target we've everything. ever seen. Clean pocket grade was best in the NFL. There were some stable metrics that were good. Yeah, but it feels like that doesn't. It feels like that gets nullified if it's at the same time as everything else is really high, right? Like it yeah. might be stable, but if everything is an outlier, then it like it's still an outlier. Uh, what? in particular stands out in this game for you i i think I, I i like watching stafford and ryan play um i wrote this week a little bit about ryan bouncing back and i think it's a fascinating year for him because he was he was bad for he wasn't great for a couple of weeks last week he showed he's capable it, i don't know if it's going to be this back and forth every week but matt ryan's proving himself to his next coach and gm right and it's like are you just going to keep me for one year or right. am i the guy you're going to build around i think that's interesting and even stafford 
how much is he proving that he's the guy for the Lions going forward? And, you know, I think both of these guys are kind of in a similar spot here. Yeah, for, I guess, different points of their career. But, yeah, kind of the same story. Atlanta is interesting because all their receivers who are capable of beating up on the Detroit secondary are questionable. Yeah. Like, they're all dealing with something. Julio's got a hamstring. Calvin Ridley's hurt himself. I mean, obviously, that's massive. <laughs> so whether they're going to have success or not is whether those guys play or not. So that's one thing to watch in this game is who do they even have available. Um, Stafford is an actually a really interesting one to talk about in terms of, like, long-term future because he's kind of entering that – it's not as bad, but he's in that sort of Jay Cutler territory of – the ceiling is so much higher than what we ever see on a consistent basis. And it feels like you just give him an endless amount of rope because eventually that's all going to come together, right? Like well, maybe the, last year was the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. the full season of last year. You get that and you're a playoff team and everything's great and we can win. But do you just keep letting him go until you get that again? Like wh when do you eventually say your baseline is not high enough for us to keep dealing with this? Like we're going to find someone else. But what are the alternatives? Well, this is a world of you can find that pretty easily. Do you just draft somebody? I mean, I'm all, that's why I'm interested in what teams like the Saints, the Patriots, for example, maybe the, the, Col the Colts. What are they going to do now? Do they want a Stafford? Do they want right. to have a year of Stafford? For example, year? Detroit picked number three in the draft last season, and it was never even entertained the idea that they would be drafting a quarterback. Should it have been? Like I, I get last year you were coming off well, the you know, half my year. <laughs> last year you were coming off the half season where it looked like finally Stafford's all put it together. So that was a particularly bad timing moment to be to have that decision. But let's say the same thing happened this year, right? You got a full year of regular Stafford, which isn't as good as the half year of the one from last season. You're picking top five again, and suddenly you have a shot at one of these quarterbacks. Are we immediately just saying, well, what benefits Stafford the most? Yeah. Or should you be saying, hang on, why is Matthew Stafford keeping us from drafting a Justin Fields? They were in a different spot than the Washington football team, though, because Washington yeah. had a new coach, one year of Dwayne Haskins and a big unknown, and we were sure. like, consider Tua. And then the Lions are at, well, it's year three for Patricia and Quinn at GM, and they're like, all right, we gotta we got to show the signs of life here. And they're, they're less worried about the long-term health of the organization. They were more short-term short, short -term focused. That was... The issue that but, feels like a problem in and of itself you know it's like of course nobody... that's why that's why you have sustained success by patriots you know, patriots steelers ravens you know whatever the teams that have played well the, the seahawks like there's been continuity and good quarterback play but there's continuity with the front office the ownership you know all that stuff that's why other teams are bad because you got to go save your job sam you got to keep your job it's not about the long-term health of the lions i got the lions in this one atlanta by two Hmm. is the Vegas. You got Atlanta winning. I do, but I'm concerned. I mean, it's my pick flips depending on the receivers the Falcons have available. If they have the full slate, I think they win. If they don't, they don't. That's fair. Kansas City at Denver. Denver, uh, nine and a half point underdogs at home. Uh, division game hmm. at uh, division road game. So that's what we have a lot of these this week, right? Buffalo, division game on the road, underdog uh, as a favorite. Seattle, favorite on the road and then kansas city favorite on the road in a division game so same thing with cleveland when we get to that mm -hmm. does denver have a shot remember they were 10 point underdogs last week on the road yeah. against the patriots 
I don't think they have a shot, but I didn't think they had a shot last week either. Um, the Chiefs are now fascinating because I think they've reached the point where teams are just like rolling the dice on weird-ass game plans to try and stop them. Like It's like, we can't beat the Chiefs. They're too good. So let's just start coming up with weird things on defense and seeing if we accidentally stumble into a way that causes them problems. Because like if we just go out and do what we think, we'll like Mahomes and the rest of the offense will just like light us on fire. Yeah. So you have the Ra- what the Raiders did. You now have Buffalo, who almost seemed like they went out specifically to invite them to just rush for 200 yards, because rushing for 200 yards meant that Patrick Mahomes wasn't passing for 500, um, and you're better that way. I I'm kind of curious to see if eventually a team just stumbles into something that's like a problem for them. And I. The Raiders felt like they kind of did. Um, somebody was asking me about this on Twitter. And they're like, well, wouldn't the game plan to copy be the one that like the Chargers deployed against them? What, assembling two top-tier pass rushes and a, maybe the best talented secondary in the NFL? They covered that's, really well. Right, that like, that's not yes, a repeatable you, game plan. Yeah, sure, that might be the best strategy, but that's, that's not one you can employ. That's the same as saying the blueprint to beating right. Brady's Patriots is four-man so, rush, 50% pressure. Yeah, those are not blueprints to stopping the Chiefs like the blueprint of stopping the Chiefs is having an equal amount of talent that they have on offense on defense and basically nobody has that so forget it so let's from a schematic point of view is there a thing you can do is there a game plan that you can walk into somebody's defensive meeting room with put it on the table and say this is the best way to stop the Chiefs it's not a guarantee it doesn't mean it will work but this is the best thing to do against them I don't. I'm curious to see if teams will stumble into that. I think so far the Raiders might have done the best job at that, and I wonder if give up over 30 points. Sure. I mean, I'm not like this is the. There's no their best game plan was 219 deep passing yards from the offense. There's no kryptonite, right? There's nothing that's going to work and shut them down and limit them to three points, and you know every week because they're too good, right? So the question is, it's again moving the percentages. What swings things in our favor the most? given that we don't have the ability to match up with them one-on-one. I think it's what the Bills did. I mean, it's it's hope that they try to run. So, yeah, so I'm curious to see, A, do Denver adopt any one of the game plans we've seen so far? B, do they come up with a completely different game plan to, to do something else and take another shot at this and see if they can find something? Or C, do they just play like their regular defense and get eviscerated by a better team? Yeah, I mean, I think they're solid enough on defense, though, even their own base you know cover four quarters type deal they'll be okay at home okay as in like 30 points yeah but yeah. i mean i would rather take the ball out of Mahomes' hands i would I, I think it is as much as you can invite them to run right and you hope that your guys you, you hope that the shelby harris's of the world and mike purcell's of the world could can stop the run reasonably well and inviting to run is light boxes two high safeties give yeah. them the looks where if you're playing honest offense, i.e. you're taking what the defense gives you, the call is to run at that point, right? Because you're yeah. giving them you, – when you lighten the, the – the single biggest thing that determines how many rushing yards you're going to get in the play is how many guys are in the box, right? Right. So if you have two high safeties, that means there's one that isn't potentially in the box. The strong safety is back deep somewhere. And, you know, if you arrange things defensively so that your linebackers are not exactly crowding the line of scrimmage, you're basically saying – this is a play where you should run the ball. And then there's other things you can do off that, I think, too. You have two safeties deep, and then you do a lot of what New England has done, 
which is take away the best players, right? So when you, you start right. with two high safeties, you rotate to one high, you do it kind of late, and that extra guy that you roll down closer to the line of scrimmage is just doubling Tyreek or it's double or he's doubling Travis Kelsey. I mean, so there are all these different things on paper that sound good. Let them run, take away the best guy, take away Mahomes' first read and make him get into more Texas Tech ball playing outside the pocket. That's when you start to, you know, it, it, as great as he makes throws outside the pocket, like you'd rather that than him throwing to an open receiver from the pocket. So, yeah, there's a few things you can play with. And I think, again, the, the thing about a division – that, that makes it tricky even for like good team. Like again going back to the Patriots they had some bad games against division teams that they were way better than through the years Peyton Manning in the Colts had games where like the Jaguars who were just okay would beat them the, the familiarity at least gives you um, an opportunity to slow down sometimes these juggernaut offenses so that's where you know Denver might have this opportunity here I'll also say if they play like they did last week and at least catch the ball Drew Locke made a bunch of those big time throws yeah. down the field that could have been caught i gave him the three i called them unluckiest passes of the week but essentially good throws that just didn't end up in good results that's so. another thing to watch is do we get that drew lock again because that like that's i, I don't i don't think it was the best game of his career but it was it was a really good performance the high-end stuff yeah it was, was a really good performance in a way we haven't seen that much from him because obviously right. it was the interception late which kind of ruined his grade but he was really good for a good portion of that game and didn't get rewarded from it because of you know, drops because of guys making plays in the end zone on a pass that hit the receiver's hands for a touchdown, all those kinds of things. Does he play at that level again against the Chiefs or does he go back towards being a guy that hasn't actually been that great? Are you going to take another home dog? Uh, I mean, home, uh, yeah, road favorite, sorry. In a division game, Kansas City, nine and a half. Yeah, I'm taking the Chiefs and I'm taking them to cover. Chiefs to win and cover. Denver won't do what they did last week. No. Here's a good one. San Francisco 49ers traveling to new england to take on the patriots patriots by two here yeah what are you looking for in this one this might be the most intriguing chess battle between coaches game plans masters at their craft you have kyle rembrandt shanahan going up against bill the dark master belichick one-on-one -on -one in a scheme it up battle to see who can do the best that is fascinating yeah. Like what is the game plan that Belichick deploys to try and stop Shanahan scheming people wide the hell open and free yardage constantly? And what does Shanahan dial up knowing that Belichick is going to try and take away what he wants to do primarily? Yeah, I mean, I think the San Francisco's offense is not dependent on one player, which does make this tricky, right? They do a good job of just getting all players into space from Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver, to Kyle Juszczyk. The fullback to uh to George Kittle. Now Belichick, when he runs into a Kittle, likes to deploy like seven dudes and like just take the tight end away. Right. right. He likes to do that with Kansas City and all that stuff. I don't know if you do that with the San Francisco offense, because then every you know, the other dudes are running free because of what you mentioned. You know, Shanahan gets guys into space really, really well. So um yeah, I think that's a good battle. I think ultimately though, San Francisco's pass coverage was better last week last week. Verrett. The Patriots, Verrett's playing fantastic. The Patriots' season comes down to their passing game. I mean, that's that's it. Cam Newton has to play better. Um, a lot of you know Patriots beat writers going back and forth, like, yeah, guys are open. Cam's not seeing the field all that well. I think there's an element to that. But at the same time, it is the same group of playmakers last year. 
that really struggled. Edelman and, you know, you have Demir Bird replacing Philip Dorsett. I mean, it's it, Nikhil Harry out there. Uh, one of the worst tight end groups still in the NFL. So it's not a good group to, pl- to, to throw to, but also Cam's just not playing really well. Um, he has, in three games, 55 passing grade. Yeah. And in the, in the Seahawks game, so all three games that are non-Seahawks, 55 passing grade. Seahawks game was an 84. So he's got one, essentially one really good half right. of play from a pass game standpoint. And also from the run game standpoint, teams have actually started to defend that properly. Like yes. it was almost like they'd forgotten what Cam can do, you know, for the first couple of weeks when the Patriots deployed that. And I, honestly, that's kind of surprised everybody at the time, right? Is are they going to lean heavily into this Cam Newton rushing potential? Oh, hell yeah, they are. They're going to ride him till the wheels fall off. And everyone had sort of forgotten how devastating that can be as a schematic problem. But then, like, you know, I don't know, they opened the, 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 the book on the shelf where they'd actually figured that out before. And, oh, yeah, this is how we stopped that. And that's now happening. So suddenly the run game is less potent than it was because teams are taking away Cam's element and he hasn't been as good as a passer. Um, ultimately, this is a lot of what we considered coming into the season. Not a great roster for Belichick. Going back historically and say, well, Belichick's been great without Brady because, you know, look at his record. They're being put to the test right now. They're two and three, and it's not an explosive offense. It's just a really, they're so reliant on their defense, which was naturally going to regress. And I think that's why, you know, I thought New England would be closer to that 10 and six mark, but that was assuming they were going to beat Denver. So, you know, I don't know, man. Do you think New New England bounces back here? Yeah. I mean, this was the 49ers' first win outside of New Jersey. Again, like they... Maybe they have better good. on the East Coast and they're going to New England. <laughs> that's that's one way of looking at it. On the other hand, they might not actually be that great. Like the We have PFF Ultimate, and I love when we get into geography analysis. Yeah. The NFC West has an incredible record as a division, and it's almost entirely propped up by the fact that they've played the NFC East so far. So there, I think there's a big open question generally in how good are these teams? Like, I think we're all comfortable that Seattle is a good team. I don't know that we're comfortable that any of the other teams are good yet. So this is a good test, right? The Patriots are, whatever, they're not a bad team, right? Where However good they are is up for debate, but on a basic level, they're not bad. So now we get a decent test about whether the 49ers are capable of beating a not bad team. I'm saying they're not, so I'm going to pick the Patriots. I think I'm going to take the Niners here. I'm going Niners. All right. Belichick's history, though, back against the wall, generally pretty good. But doesn't have his back against the wall usually without Brady. So, true. taking the Niners, wow. It's going to be crazy if they fall to 2-4, and four, New England. A uh, couple more games. And then the game of the week, Pittsburgh Steelers and Tennessee Titans still to come. Yes. Jaguars at Chargers, one thing to, uh, to keep an eye on here. I think it's always just those, those Jags young guys. Herbert, development. They avoiding the mistakes. started to talk about benching. Gardner Minshew. Yeah, he's lost some of the lost some of the shine. Yeah, but why? Why would you? <laughs> what's behind him? You know what I mean? Like, what's the point? I think with Minshew, look, you might not get a Trevor Lawrence opportunity here as the Jags, right? Untankable, tank-proof. What we thought. You might not get a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields opportunity. That that's a possibility. And my thought is just make just make sure you get as much information as possible on Minshew. Yeah. Well, so those are your two options, right? Do you exhaust every possible avenue in terms of Gardner Minshew or do you throw in Mike Glennon 
because he's the guy that will get you furthest up the draft order. Honestly, Glennon is not that much different from Minshew from a performance standpoint. Man, I've really... He's got a very different looking head. Very different. Uh, I've come a long way, I guess, in the last couple of weeks. I think you just get as much information on Minshew as possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't see the point in benching Minshew. Like, at this point, he's not playing dramatically better than a Mike Glennon anyway. So it's not like, even if, you're, even if your sole purpose was to tank for the highest possible draft spot, Minshew might not be taking you any further away from that than Glennon is right now. And he's young, who has some kind of upside. You owe it to him and your franchise to at least make sure that there's no chance that he's a quarterback going forward for you. You already know that with Glennon. So I see no purpose in benching him, to be honest. I'm just going to watch Forrest Lamp because we haven't, we haven't talked enough about him. Okay. Pretty good pass protection grade. Yeah. At left guard, 72.8. Got to improve in the run game, but he was, he was an elite pass protector in college. He was. 359 snaps this year. He only had uh, about a buck 70 coming into the year in his three-year career. So good for Forrest being back on the field. Uh, realistically, I want to see Justin Herbert short and intermediate stuff. My, I mean, that's going to be my weekly takeaway. Like when I'm watching Herbert, special throws are there. The zip is there. I want to see the rest of those parts of his game develop. One it's a highest, seven and a half point spread for uh, the Chargers. One of the highest percentages of snaps under pressure, Justin Herbert in the NFL. Only Daniel Jones effectively of uh, full-time starters has a higher percentage. 43.7% of Justin yeah. Herbert's snaps have been under pressure. It's not Forrest Lamp's fault, though. No. Forrest is doing his it's job. It's not all the offensive line's fault, either. Like, Justin Herbert factors into that as well. Sure. But that's a problem number. And I, I, I think that's somewhat limiting what they're able to do, too, and why some, like, it's, it's predicated on there's a big you know, there's big chunk plays. I mean, he made like five really good throws against the Saints. I mean, Everything else was the, kind of meh. Yeah. The and stuff, they scored a ton of points because of it. The stuff that Anthony Lynn was saying about, you know, they're not able to do everything they want to do with Justin Herbert at quarterback. It's It sounded silly because he looks so much better than Tyra Taylor, but it's not completely baseless and crazy, right? Like there is truth to the idea that Justin Herbert does not help a bad offensive line and if you're trying to get the ball out quickly and trying to mitigate the pressure that comes from that offensive line, there are plays where he's not helping you out, and Tyra Taylor would. Now, he offsets that by the big plays that Tyra Taylor isn't, didn't make for years and probably wouldn't make this year. But it's, you know what I mean? It's like he, get, he got ridiculed for that comment, and you can see what he meant, at least. I think there's interesting parallels between the Chargers right now and the Bengals. Bengals are going to be playing the Browns. We'll get to them right now. Um, but both teams, it's going to be like an arms race for offensive linemen yeah. this offseason between the Chargers and the Bengals and a couple other teams, of course. But the parallels of like, let's protect our first round quarterback, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, and they have guys to throw to. The Chargers have good playmakers. The Bengals have some pretty good playmakers to throw to. But both teams need to creep back toward average on that offensive line. Um, char finish up the Chargers by seven and a half. I think this is one of those games the Jacks keep it close. The Jags keep it close. Yes. Okay. I like the Jags to cover the seven and a half Chargers to win. If they do, it's because Justin Herbert threw them a football. Um, if yeah. Justin Herbert doesn't throw them a football, I think the Chargers win this comfortably. Now let's get to the Cleveland-Cincinnati game. Cleveland's favored by three as they come here to uh, Cincinnati. Um, will Baker bounce back here? Yeah. Big rebound game. for the Really? Well, this is this was – it's week one all over again. Or week two over again, rather. The Browns have an absolute disaster matchup against one of the best teams in the NFL, and then they get, they get to rebound 
against one of the best match- matchups possible for them, and it's been the Bengals both times. So Baltimore to the Bengals, week one to week two. Pittsburgh to the Bengals, week f- what are we six to seven. Um, so yeah, everything that was true about the week two is still true. The Bengals don't have a good defense. They don't. They're not particularly complicated on defense. Everything the Browns want to do on offense should function. It should roll. They should be able to rack up points. They should be able to dominate them on the ground. Baker Mayfield should be able to hit the deep ball against not particularly good corners. And they should be able to win this comfortably. The Bengals defense, if you have PFF premium stats, PSV2, part of your PFF elite package, three guys have at least a green grade. It's all red and and, uh, orange. Those are bad. Yeah. We have a green Carl Lawson. Yep. Green William Jackson. In a blue, Jesse Bates, safety. Mm. So, as long as Baker Mayfield does not find a way to throw the ball to Jesse Bates, yes, and Bates has made some fantastic plays on the ball this year, then I think the Browns are okay. Yeah. The week one to week two, the thing was, can Baker Mayfield pull himself together, hang in a pocket, and not just not just like panic constantly and run around and do disastrous things now the question is all right he's shown that he could do that for a few games where things are working can he read a defense properly and just stop making idiotic mistakes like yeah basic things again he's like the quarterback version of the dallas defense like these are very basic problems that you're still managing to find a way to trip over like this is day one install stuff can you read the picture in front of you pre-snap that's the big thing right it's like this is the picture. It didn't change. You didn't like fall victim of a late roll and just get confused. That's understandable. You just misread the thing. Like you were showing. I, the I don't picture. know how that. I don't know how that gets fixed. That's same. But I, it's I, an issue. I don't know that. So, but that's the question this week, right? We yeah. the first time the question was, can he hang in a pocket and be comfortable? This time the question is, all right, you're going to see a much easier defense. Right. Can you at least show the ability to work through crayon ABCs and throw the ball <laughs> where it needs to go? You like them to bounce back, the Browns here? Yeah. I'll take the Browns as well by three. Always, you know, Burrow and Herbert, always fun to watch every week. Um, Burrow played really well outside of two throws last week against the Colts, just to put that out there. All right, let's wrap it up with probably the best game of the week. Mm -hmm. We went in reverse. We went crazy order in this one. We're going to tease it out. Pittsburgh Steelers and Tennessee Titans. Yeah. It's the uh, COVID rescheduled game. Tennessee's favored by one. If I told you, say, a year ago, you've got a Ben Roethlisberger, Ryan Tannehill matchup, and I described <laughs> the quarterbacks as you've got one quarterback who is a big play. This generator. would actually be perfect timing as well because this was this was the week that Tannehill came in, right? Yeah, Tannehill yeah, came if in. If I told you that Tannehill was going to play ben this week, Ben was hurt. Tannehill is the guy, and he doesn't have a ton of you know big time throws this year, but. Boy, is he just making, just spreading the ball around and creating chunk plays. Highest percentage of positively graded throws this year. And I said, you know, you've got the high positively graded throw guy and an explosive offense that's nearly unstoppable. And then you've got an Alex Smithian, Hmm. safe, not a lot of turnover worthy plays, not a lot of big time throws. You'd be like, yeah, that's Big Ben's the big play guy, right? Well, two ways. One, if I if I told you that a a Ben Roethlisberger Ryan Tannehill quarterback matchup, Ryan Tannehill would be the better quarterback. Fair. And two, that uh, one of them would be hyper aggressive and the other one pretty conservative, and Tannehill's the aggressive guy. Both those things a year ago would have sounded nuts. Yeah. And that's the reality we're dealing with right now. That Tannehill, 
may have regressed a little bit, but not much. Like yeah. He's way closer to the last year guy than even so that the theory was, look, he's not going to regress anywhere near my like old the end of Miami Tannehill. Right. That was clearly some that was a bad representation of what Tannehill is. But we had this sort of 80 grade Tannehill for a few years at the start of his career in Miami. And the chances are he's probably going to split the difference between that guy and last year, right? 80 and 90. He'll end up 85 somewhere. He'll be a good quarterback. Actually, he's way closer to 90 Tannehill than he is the 80 guy from before. Like he's not, he hasn't split that difference. He's almost maintained where he was last season. Yeah. This is this one of those games that, that drags him back down though? Yes, because. This is like the biggest matchup in this. It's the same. Every every team that faces Blitzburg has to deal with the most blitz-happy team in the NFL who are also the best team in the NFL at generating pressure, in part because of it. We have never seen a team finish with a pressure rate on defense above 46-point-something percent, right? 2011, I think, Eagles had the highest pressure rate we've ever seen. A few teams in and around 45 the Pittsburgh Steelers right now are generating pressure on more than 50% of their dropbacks. And we've said before that if you're above 40, you're causing real problems for offenses. They're an extra 10 percentage points higher than that. Now you're facing Tennessee, who don't have tackles anymore because Taylor Lewan is out for the season. So you're facing the most pressure-happy team in the NFL without your starting left tackle. It can't be anything but a problem. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this game looks great on paper there's a lot of um am i slow to buy into tennessee because of where their weaknesses lie uh, pass rush is the lowest grade in the nfl the yeah. coverage unit which we talked about on mina's show it felt like for years they were the capable team we've got a joy a dory jackson malcolm butler logan ryan nice little trio in any given week those guys are going to lock you down kevin byard patrol in the middle you don't have a dory this year he's banged up and you've got you know butler's not playing as well logan ryan's gone byard's not playing as well so the defense isn't as difficult to play against. And then wherever we stand on Tannehill, he's coming off of two really strong games. Yeah. But even early in the year, yeah, he's throwing the ball to safeties more than he was last year. And they only scored 16 against Denver at Denver. That's, you know, that old playing Denver deal. Um, I like Pittsburgh in this one. I'd like them to um, to show I think they're the, more, the better all-around team in this one. Yeah, I mean, I like Pittsburgh as well. I think that defense... It's just such a mismatch for teams right now. I know they've, they've just lost Devin Bush. That's going to be a problem or at least a big blow. I'm curious to see how Tennessee reacts to this Blitzburg attack, though, because it, it's a little bit like the, um, the proposition that's going to get or we think will get posed towards the Raiders, which is we're going to come after you and the, we're going to dare you essentially to beat us over the top, right? That's the way to attack this. Not with A.J. Brown. Yeah, well, this is the thing. So with the Steelers, they're going to come after you the same way. And I think that that secondary is actually kind of susceptible to uh, plays over the top, but by, they they gamble a lot, right? Yeah. The idea is, look, if, if we're coming after you with six guys, most of them are going to win. So we're, we're A, going to get pressure, and B, it's probably going to come quite quickly. I don't have to really worry about double moves because you don't have time to run them. You know, I can bite, bite on the first thing I see. Because most of the time, that's what they're going to try and hit. So I think the secondary gambles a lot in terms of jumping after that first route. And that's why they look really good right now because they're picking off Baker Mayfield because there's no, there's no thought at a second thing. You don't have time for that. But if you can, if you can get them, if you can hold on just long enough, 
to get the second move or the second read, I think you can punish this defense for being that aggressive. We haven't seen a team really able to do it yet, but you know the Titans have the constituent pieces to be able to hold on just long enough for the double move or hold on just long enough for the second guy in the progression who's more open than the first guy that they're cu- cutting down on. To back up your point, Steelers right now have the number one pass rush grade, run defense grade, so yep. there's your front seven, mm-hmm. but the number 15 coverage grade. So there is a last year they were good all around, right? right? This is where, you know, the, the, I keep mentioning the Brady Patriots on this show, but Vrabel's being compared to Belichick this week, right? Um, if you saw this on paper and you were the Patriots and you had Tom Brady back in the day, you'd say, we're not even going to try to run the ball. We're spreading and passing, right? That's not Tennessee's game, though. Some teams are game plan oriented. Some of them are like, hey, we got to run what we do and run play action and we got to get Derrick Henry involved to a point. Would Tennessee ever look at this game and say, we're actually going to not feature Derrick Henry? It's a Ryan Tannehill game. Spread it out. Spreading it out might invite six-man pressures, but you know what's coming when you go empty and you get a six-man pressure and you know you know it becomes an Adam Humphreys underneath game. And um, Would they put the ball in Tannehill's hand to make decision after decision after decision? Because as great as he's played, he's still played great in a system that's like, we'll drop back 25 or 30 times. Right. Right. And you're going to get your chunk plays and throw the ball deep out. He throws the routes that he's good at. Do you put the ball in Tannehill's hands and say, chuck it 40 times? Yeah. I don't know if they need to chuck it 40 times or if they just need to be like, look, this is not going to be a good offensive day. Right. Like they have too good a defense. They're going to win a lot of the time. So what we have to do is make sure that we punish them a couple of times. So we can run Derrick Henry into a brick wall all day long, but at some point we're going to need to hit that 50-yard bomb over the top. Otherwise, we're just sunk. Now, I don't know if – so I don't know if the better way of doing it is to say, let's try and be the, the Brady Patriots where we turn into this high-volume passing. Let's try and execute this spread system and pick them up five yards at a time with a 1,000 paper cuts in the passing game. I That might be too ambitious. You know, We're just not cut out particularly well to do that. It feels like a system that's not going to work. Or if we just say, look, run our regular offense, accept that it isn't going to be a good day and it's not going to work that well, and make sure we hit when we have the deep shot because that's the thing that flips everything, right? Is that we can have three failed drives, but if the fourth one we get the 80-yard touchdown, it, it, it might work. It might be worth it. Yeah, and I think on the other side, Pittsburgh's got the advantage offensively. Big Ben, chuck it around take care of the ball i think they'll make some plays i like the steelers in this one yeah same all right man is that it let's the week seven slate let's talk just before we get to joe let's talk quickly about the tua thing yes miami choose now to go to tua tagovailoa tagovailoa bench fitzpatrick it's magic yeah then it's the the right move is it yes is it really yes miami how is it the right move? When you draft Tua... They're 500 in playoff contention. Yeah, I don't care about this year. You don't care about this year. The most important thing for the future of the Miami Dolphins franchise... Let's look lot, big picture here, not week six of the NFL, week seven of the NFL. The most important thing is that Tua's either good, yeah. or if he's not good, you know and you get the next guy. Okay, It's the most important part of anything for the Dolphins, right? And you come into the season with a plan. Now, I don't know what the right plan is, but as long as you have one, you stick with it. And whatever that plan is, unless Ryan Fitzpatrick 
literally plays like the best quarterback in the league, you don't deviate from that plan. Mm. Meaning, if you came into the year and you're like, Tua, sitting out the entire season, I don't care what happens, he needs a whole year. He needs it. All right, then that's your plan. If the plan was bye week, which we're at right now, Mm -hmm. then that's your plan. All right. If the plan was as soon as he masters the playbook, if it's week two or week 12, it's happening, then that's your plan. So as long as they stuck to their plan, which is the best thing for Tua's development, whatever that might be, then they made the right move. So I got two, maybe three candor points to you. Is it going to be a Kurt Warner point? No. Okay. That's going to be a good one. Richard Sherman on the Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman said that that's the worst possible thing you could be doing. That's the thing that upsets him the most if that's what they did. This idea of they just stuck to a plan regardless of how things showed up, right? Of course he said that as because a Because it's not – that's not football. Things change. Circumstances adjust. You're now 500. Fitzpatrick's playing well. You have a shot of winning this year. Why would you go – well, just because preseason we said we were going to put him into the bye week. Now we're doing it. Crazy talk. Sherman says this, not me, you understand. He's the one calling you an idiot, not, Real not I. When I'm GM, oh, I'm going to lose my players pretty quickly. <laughs> secondly. But it doesn't matter. We're going to win. Yeah. Secondly, where was I going with the secondly thing? Uh, Sorry, I keep interrupting you. Yeah, you, you, my train of thought's gone. So that was the thing that upset him the most was that, if, oh, secondly, if that was the plan, right? Preseason, whatever happens, here's our bye week, nice little circle, which moved, by the way, like that adjusted with the COVID stuff, I think. Their bye week changed. So- you know what I mean? Like that, that's already a little bit of a question. Uh, the plan could have just been, you know, the bye week. Okay. If the plan was the bye week, whenever it is, that's when he comes in, right? If that was the plan, why did nobody else know? Like Fitzpatrick was surprised, shocked, saddened, heartbroken that they made this switch. He didn't know this was coming at the bye week. Neither, it seems, did anybody else who was as shocked as ever. If that was the plan all the way along, how is it such a huge surprise to everybody? Maybe. Go ahead. Thirdly, right, the only way this makes any sense to me, and this is what we were talking about before, is if he was playing so lights out in practice that like, oh, look, he's ready. See? Look at him. Carving everybody up. But you don't get those reps in practice. Like you're not – it's not like an even split, right, where Fitzpatrick's playing 20 reps, you're playing 20 reps, and you get to see who was better. You are like the scout team quarterback. You're not playing – you're not getting the starting reps. We have no – like fair way of saying if it's bad or if uh, Tua is ready based on practice reps, like unless and I haven't seen any Dolphins reporters say this, but unless they had a completely abnormal divide of practice reps in a way that I think would have been reported if that was happening, right? This this can't have been decided based off what we've seen in practice. So the idea that like Tua is just lighting it up behind the scenes and now's the time also doesn't seem to hold weight to me. All right, to your second point. Ryan Fitzpatrick, former colleague Golly, of mine. The yeah, man was hard crushed. He's a buddy. He shaved his whole beard to do the NBC Chris Collinsworth special with me a few years ago mm-hmm. with me, uh, featuring me. Um, former colleague. I love him. Fitz is great. If he didn't know that he was a bridge quarterback, oh, if he, he didn't he was a know. Bridge, but he didn't know like it was coming at the bye. You think Case saying. Keenum was shocked every time he's been benched for the next young guy? He's like, oh, I knew that was coming. He, he knew. But he, he was the reason he was heartbroken is because it came now out of the blue without if if this had been the plan all the way along, surely you would have told the starting quarterback that, dude, when we hit the bye week, no, your, your ass you is need, on the bench. You want Fitz, you know, preparing every week like he's the starter and then not, you know, just you're telling me that if you're if you had a plan from preseason that when we hit the bye, we're making a change at quarterback, you wouldn't tell the starting quarterback that was coming. No, because you're Mr. Touchy Feely, you know, 
player feelings guy. Right. If you tell your you don't tell your starting quarterback like, look, you're in a short leash. You know, no matter how you play, like at some point between week six and ten, two is coming in. Right? You'd be like, look, you're the guy. Prep like you're the guy. Just go go win some games. Elevate everybody and your teammates and everything. What's the end game this year? Because I agree, the Dolphins are contenders now. They're three and three. Mm-hmm. Fitz has played like a top fifteen to twenty quarterback the last couple of years. Credit to him for that. What's their end game? A number seven seed in the playoffs? Do you need a number seven seed in the playoffs, or do you need to figure out what Tua is to potentially well, win a championship down the road? But okay, here's the the other point is what percentage of Tua's possible outcomes give you a resounding answer either way on what he is for the rest of the season? Now, that's fair, but I still come back to what whatever the plan is. If you're of the belief that a player needs to play his rookie season to maximize his development, then I say you stick to that. If you're of the belief that like Carson Palmer and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Phillip Rivers, that you don't have to play right away and you can still maximize your potential, then you roll with that. Following my point if let's assume that it's a majority of his outcomes we have no real idea what Tua is going forward is that fair most outcomes for the remainder of the season we're going to enter 2021 not really knowing whether Tua is like legit or not yes yes therefore you are saying it's a it's a good thing to risk a potential playoff spot this year for effectively no gain most of the time because you don't know. You all you did, you tossed away the chance of winning and making a postseason spot because there's a small chance that you'll know what you have in Tua either way. The yeah, the payout the payout of knowing what Tua is or getting to that conclusion quicker might be higher but than most that. of the time you're not going to. No, but it's but it's this year combined with next year and all that stuff. Like if if Baker never played his rookie season and we only saw years two and three. We never would have had that first year of saying like, oh, there's look how good he is. Right. It's just more information is my point. Yeah. We but have you, more information. Clearly, it's not all the information, but it's more. You get to the you get to your conclusion quicker. The other thing I think is that they need to be really aware of how bad a situation this is to throw a quarterback into. Oh boy. I'm not Vince gonna go hasn't even I'm not sacked. gonna go overboard on this, right? But Dolphins fans think their offensive line is way better than it is. Last year it was one of the worst offensive lines in NFL history. This season, it's just one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. It's still bad, really bad. And it's a little bit better in pass protection terms than it is in run blocking terms, but it's still bad. It's like 26th, I think, in PFF grade from a pass blocking standpoint, despite Fitzpatrick having the third fastest average time to throw in the NFL this year and one of the fastest times we've ever seen if it held for the remainder of the year, right? So essentially, that offensive line is being protected better than basically any other line in the NFL and is still grading in the bottom six lines in the league, right? That's a problem. And there's no way that Tua improves that situation. It will be worse with He'll a rookie quarterback. a little bit longer, I right. think. Even general. if, in abstract terms, he has a fast release, rookie quarterbacks hold the ball longer. It will be worse with him back there. I, I will also say, just to temper expectations a little bit in QB evaluation. I think, you know, you're, you're playing this range of outcomes with the hope that you're getting a quote unquote top eight, top 10 guy, right? I look at Tua and think, you know, he has a percentage chance of being a top 10 guy. Yes. Right. I also see a big percentage chance that he is the cop. I gave him Jimmy Garoppolo mm-hmm. or I'm uh, not to do, you know, Hawaiian scouting, but Marcus Mariota, <laughs> right? Like there is a chance he lands in that bucket of quarterbacks right so i think and that's not exciting 
But that's honestly, that's the reality of every yeah. quarterback. Even though we thought Baker had a higher percentage of being top 10, he lands more in the Mariota-ish bucket mm-hmm. as of right now, yeah. the last two years. So there's a good chance that the offense does not look good at all or it doesn't look better than it did with Fitzpatrick for a while. And it's important not to overreact to that because you're not, to your point, you're not going to know completely, but there's there's also a chance he's just a mid-tier quarterback who I still don't think has a great arm or upside there. You know, he's he's a pretty good playmaker, but he makes some Jimmy G type of really bad decisions too, like Fitz. Um, by the way, all that said, Fitz isn't playing that great this year. No. He's, he's playing played, better in other like QBR well. metrics, other metrics, and he's still, you know, trying to throw the ball through linebackers' faces a little bit too much. Sometimes you got to put the ball where it needs to go. You're just sad. Look, I'm crushed for Fitz. He's excited. Two last points, right? One. You have two? Small ones. One, they're debuting him against Aaron Donald with a bad offense. As I said, he's not playing guard. No, but he's playing the guy that the defensive tackle is going to kill. He'll be fine. He's playing Alex Smith in this game. You're trotting out a bad interior offensive line against Aaron Donald. That didn't go well for Alex Smith. It's probably not going to go too well for Tua. Again, you can take Aaron Donald out of a game plan, but you now need to spend the two weeks that you're planning to spend, like get him ready for the game, figuring out how Aaron Donald isn't going to murder your young rookie quarterback. To me, that isn't a great time to debut him. Would you agree? Is that both points? It isn't, but again, I, I don't know. I locked the coffee or something, yeah. but I, I don't have my second point anymore. I can be swayed, but I think... <laughs> oh, I got it. Got it. Got it. Found it again. Do you think that the Dolphins looked throughout this landscape of rookie quarterbacks and said, well, Burrow's doing a pretty good job despite a crappy offensive line. Justin Herbert looks like a superstar over there, and we're already starting to hear, did they screw it up because they didn't have Justin Herbert? We want some of that. Like, yes. Fitzpatrick's okay, but what if... What if Tua is as good as these guys? I think there might be some of that in the decision. All right. And if that is the case, then I disagree with it. Right. There's a lot of ways you disagree with this point that you agree with. No, because I'm – look, I said the same thing when Jeff Fisher was putting Jared Goff in in week 13 in 2016. Mm -hmm. I gave them the benefit of the doubt and said that they had a plan. (laughs) And whatever that plan is, you stick to it. Not like, oh, it's definitely the bye week. It's just when my guy is ready to play football, he's going to play because – Jared Goff's development was far more important than Case Keenum playing football in 2016, just like Tua's development is far more important than Ryan Fitzpatrick playing football in 2020 for the Dolphins. Okay. Case closed. Now, let's go to Hall of Famer Joe Thomas. It was a great discussion, had a lot of fun, and again, I think you'll understand because of his attention to detail why he's a future Hall of Famer. Hey, guys. Life is full of questions. Like, what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right. We are very excited to be joined by future Hall of Famer Joe Thomas. Joe, thanks for uh, joining the show. Appreciate you coming on here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Well, let's get into all the fun stuff. Uh, Yesterday on Twitter, our friend Mina Kimes got into a big fight with Dolphins fans, and they were arguing about the offensive line 
being good in Miami. And put the Dolphins aside for a second. I wanted to ask you as an offensive tackle about the relationship between the O-line and the quarterback, the pass game, pass blocking. How much is that tied together and how much should offensive linemen actually be blamed for sacks? It's the quarterback, right? Just blame the quarterback. It's always the quarterback, right? I mean, right. think about how many great tackles Tom Brady made by getting rid of the football quickly and being where he's supposed to be in the pocket. And then you see those guys go elsewhere, and then all of a sudden they don't look so great. And I think you guys have done a great job, better than anybody uh, before you or since, in actually just going back and watching the plays. And now you guys don't know exactly where the quarterback is supposed to be or how quickly he was supposed to get rid of the football. But if you actually just watch the plays from the end zone copy, you get a pretty good idea of, oh, well, the quarterback probably hung on to it a lot longer than he should have. He probably wasn't supposed to be in this spot. And so that sack really should be blamed on the quarterback. It's the same thing that we do in those meeting rooms. We bitch about the quarterback play on Monday morning. You guys are actually bringing that the complaints of offensive linemen everywhere and bringing them to the world. And I, I, commend you for doing that finally that that's all we're trying to do here so the obvious question is how often did you have to chew out your own quarterback for being in the wrong place so here's exactly what you can do when you're watching a game to really figure out if a sack is on the offensive line or is it on the quarterback when that quarterback is sacked if that lineman goes over there very quickly gives him his hand (laughs) extends his arm picks him up off the ground taps him on the head you know it was that offensive lineman's fault and he's trying to win him back with a little bit of sugar but (laughs) i would always do this if it was on the quarterback and he was over there and he had that hand reached out i was walking right back to the huddle i was not helping him (laughs) off the ground because there's a million people that in japan that are watching what just happened with me that are blaming me and cussing me under their (laughs) breath that i got the quarterback killed and between me and the quarterback we're about the only people in that whole stadium that know it was really his fault we now need to go back through Joe's career and have a tally of how many he helped him up versus how helped many he just up, let him blame him. Be. It's great because, you know, we do the, um, the very in-depth analysis of PFF. If you clap your hands and you're really upset about it, you know, this happens more in coverage. It's probably your fault, right? You're yeah, probably absolutely. the primary coverage. So we, we're on to those tells. Yeah, it's versus, tells. Yes, versus the coverage guy that immediately turns around and starts shouting at somebody and pointing. Yes. Doesn't Look, matter who. Just just turn around, shout, and point at somebody else. And, and people know. That you, you, so that's you trying to save your PFF grade. You know, you're like, <laughs> I'm just walking back to the line. I'm saving that grade, right? Or you palm up somebody. Give them palms up. It's like it's on. It's on you. All right. So, any quarterbacks that you want to blame uh, out of all of them? Uh, well, I had more than two dozen quarterbacks that I played with throughout <laughs> plenty my career, of options. So it would take too long to blame all of them. Let's just say that it was never my fault. It's like <laughs> perfect. It wasn't me. It was somebody else. I like uh, it. How about the, just the transition for offensive linemen? You know, we, just our data says look, a lot of offensive linemen don't actually show improvement until year three or four. And I feel like that's kind of intuitive, right? It's such a complicated position. What is so difficult about that transition from college to the NFL? Well, playing offensive line is about a million different things that are completely unrelated that you have to put together. And depending upon the defensive opponent you're going against, depending upon the front you're going against, you could block the exact same play in the playbook maybe 50 different ways. And so it's learning all those different ways that you have to block your opponent and the front that they're running, but also understanding that 
each front that they're running is going to require different technique. We would have completely different techniques on our inside zones, whether it was a 3-4 front that I'm going against or a 4-3 front. Because if I'm going against a basic 3-4 front, my inside zone technique is I'm just basically picking up my outside foot and putting it in the ground. I'm taking that man across from me, that defensive end who's usually head up, and I'm blocking him nose to nose. All of a sudden, it's a 4-3, and now he's a wide player. Now I might be working a combination block with the tight end. So my footwork is completely different. My aiming point is completely different where my eyes are going to be are completely different and so the only other position that's like that is quarterback where it's all about just learning a million of those different things putting them all together and then reducing the number of mistakes that you make that's what makes you a great player and that's why it takes so long i talk about getting your doctorate and being a quarterback well it's the same thing about being an offensive lineman you go to undergrad you get your four-year pre-med degree then you still got to go to three years of med school before you're good enough to be able to roll you out there and say we have faith and we have trust in this guy that he can get the job done more than he won't and therefore he can be my starter and i feel comfortable about having him out there protecting the most valuable asset that this franchise have the half a billion dollar quarterback like a patrick mahomes there's a lot that goes into it yeah. i mean so when, when you're preparing in a given week you mentioned this front and that front and my technique how much of your preparation is what you need to do how much is on your opponent how much is run game how much is you know, pass rush moves, the guy you're going up against, like what does your preparation look like in a given week? Well, the run game is really vast, and that's why offensive linemen spent the majority of their time, especially early in the week, on working on the different techniques that you're going to see. Like I mentioned, if you're playing a 3-4 team, and let's, let's say you play in a division that has a lot of 4-3 teams, you're not used to running the inside zone technique versus that front. And so you need to rep that a lot of times, especially when you get a front that's going to maybe move a lot. All of a sudden, you've got a defensive end that's going to spike on you a lot, or they're going to run a lot of strong scrape, or they're going to be a big wheel-free safety team. Like You need to have that communication that has to happen in under a second at the line of scrimmage to be able to change everybody's technique and eyes among the front five and maybe the tight ends. And sometimes it even includes the fullback. And you guys need to be on the same page to be able to communicate that and execute that extremely quickly. The thing that's different about pass blocking is a lot of times it's the same thing over and over and over again. And so once you kind of figure that out, it's easy to carry that a long way. That's why you see a lot of offensive linemen that play a long time in the NFL, because even when their skills athletically diminish, they still have the technique that is required to pass block in the NFL. And that stuff is more about your footwork and where your balance is, where your hands are, where your eyes are, where your brain is, and less about how fast or how quick you are. And so that's something that translates a long time. But it's also something that's a lot harder to learn. It takes a lot longer to be really, really polished with your pass blocking technique. And so you don't see guys until three, four, five, sometimes seven years into their career become really proficient pass blockers because it's all about replicating that same technique over and over and over again. So everybody likes to ask old players, um, former players, like who the best person you face was. I am less interested about that. What I wanted to ask you about was about a specific type of player until I discovered there wasn't an American term for this. It's a British <laughs> wow, or an I Irish term. I can't wait term. to hear this. So it's called shithousery, right? A shithousery. A shithouser or a shithouse <laughs> is a guy who sort of – so the, the definition is, according to Urban Dictionary – is somebody that is proficient in underhanded conduct or gamesmanship in a sport with the intention of gaining an advantage. But the thing they miss out there is there's something a little bit admirable about it, right? So he's like an asshole who specifically tries to like wind up his opposition, you know, mm. niggle him, but there's something kind of admirable about them as well. So who is like the biggest shithouse that you played against? That's a great question because it would be more 
more than just being a dirty player. Like yeah. you're doing it yeah. in like a more of a, a pleasant way that right. your teammates can appreciate. You're not just like going out there getting penalties and 15 yard unnecessary uh, exactly uh, flags. Um, you know, I, I gotta say, Alex Mack has got to be up there as far as players that I played with. Now he was obviously a center. He was on the offensive side of the ball with me, um, but he was great at all those little tricks and those um, trickerations that you know most people didn't understand or didn't even see. And he would get defensive linemen all the time, whether it be like with the nose guard, he could see that they were leaning, and he would make them think like maybe with his first step, give them that first touch, like he was firing out on them, and then he trapped their hands and maybe. Um, Get, get his hips around him to be able to reach a guy. Um, he was really good at that type of stuff. Another guy I never played with, but I, I played a, on the opposing side of the field with Kevin Mawai. He was probably a great shithouser or whatever that word was <laughs> that you called it uh, because he was an undersized center. And as a center, a lot of times you can get by being undersized if you're crafty, if you're, uh, you know, you're using your quickness and your wit and like unusual techniques to be able to use that to your advantage. Cause I think Mawai played probably 275, 280, and he was going against 350 pound nose guards. And so you're not going to blow those guys off the ball. You got to be really crafty and tricky and win a lot of times with your athleticism and your brain over those big hog mollies that are playing nose guard. I think Mawai is actually an excellent answer. Just oh, from, yeah. Just from remembering him play. I think that's a great one. It more like I do want to know a little bit about the players that you've played, though. So not necessarily the best, but somebody that you thought, hey, I should be able to handle this guy. But he had something quirky about his game, something that was made him difficult to block or you watched film and unexpectedly maybe had some trouble. Anybody that stands out? You know, there was never guys that snuck up on me because I watched so much film and yeah. I um, would would just religiously watch tape until I felt like I couldn't get it wrong, right? Yeah. But I would say the guys that come to mind, Scott Solomon, it's a guy that nobody probably has ever heard of. He actually played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think, a little bit. And then we signed him off their practice squad. Um, but it's the guy that doesn't show up on the scouting report especially this happens in in a training camp during the preseason a lot of times it's the guy you don't know what he does you don't know what his moves are you don't know what he's good at and so you quick try to size him up like you would like in a high school AAU basketball tournament right everyone lines up there at half court and just kind of picks the guy that they think they can match up with because they're about the same height and they kind of look about the same build um, and you try to size a guy up and then all of a sudden he does something different and Scott Solomon was that that guy like we didn't know who he was he wasn't even in our roster we had no idea and like we were real nervous going into that game because we didn't know what his pass rush moves are. You see him on film playing hard, but then when when you get to the the game on Sunday, it's like he might be a spin guy, he might be a power guy, he might be a speed guy. Like we don't really know, and so it, it led to a lot of anxiety. But I would say maybe he would be the closest thing to what you're asking there. And sorry, Joe, we got interrupted by Tyler, our producer, and Brown. No, he's got fan. more important things going on over there. Brown just, super just fan. Let him be. He's dusting the cabinets there. He the, is the shelving, dusting the Browns helmet. We had to uh, we had to replace the the super. Bowl champion Chiefs helmet for the Browns helmet for your appearance. Yeah, absolutely, as it should be. Scott exactly. Solomon was not expecting a Scott Solomon shout out here. <laughs> so, what about the other side? Was there anyone that you went up against that's like you know Hall of Fame caliber player, Pro Bowler, and actually you were like, you know what, this this was easier than I was expecting. This mm. I actually match up well with this guy. 
So a guy that I wouldn't say was easier than expected, but I felt like I always matched up really well against was Justin Smith. You know, he's, I think, maybe the first defensive lineman to make all pro first team at two different positions when he was in San Francisco. He made it as a defensive tackle and a defensive end. And I, the reason I say him is because when he was earlier on in his career playing at Cincinnati and I was a rookie, he was big, strong, physical, athletic. He had a few good pass rush moves. And he was a guy that I was always really nervous about. Um, but I always played really really well against him because he had a little bit of a tell in his stance when he was going to be oh. slanting to the inside he would actually change his hands a bit and change his feet and so when he didn't do that i was able to jump set him and use my quickness and my athleticism against him um but i knew that if i jump set him when he was going inside he'd beat me too quick because he was too fast to the inside move and so i would wait and watch his hands and his feet every single time. And when he had his hands and feet telling me he was going upfield, I'd jump him. When he had his uh, feet switched and his hands switched, I would call my guard over when I could when we were in that type of a slide, and I would set off. And then I knew I was getting a little bit of help. So if I got full rush and I started getting pushed, I would probably be getting a little bit of guard help. So that was probably one guy that I think um, maybe fits that description. And then Jason Taylor, the year after he won defensive player of the year, I played him my rookie season and he was a great player. He had tons of sacks, but I noticed when he would come with his long arm, he would long arm it high on guys, but he wasn't trying to long arm you to push you back into the quarterback. What he was trying to do is get you to trigger your hands. And he had these super long arms. And so when he would stick that, long arm high into your chest he would get you to trigger your hands and then he would reach around and grab the back of your pad and pull you forward and then he was so quick at flipping his hips and getting to the quarterback he made a living getting sacks like that but i deduced that okay if he wants me to give him my hands maybe i shouldn't give him my hands right like most offensive linemen i feel like should be smarter than that because i <laughs> always claim we're the smartest guys in the room but it seems like nobody had figured it out until i played him that maybe what you should do is you should punch his stab punch his hand like don't give him what he wants. Don't try to grab his his pads like every offensive line coach in the nation was telling you. Punch his hands. Keep that distance. Don't let him get to the back of my pad. Like that was the key on that guy is keep distance. Some guys, you want to get in there and you want to wrestle with them if you're bigger than them, if you're stronger than them. You want to get your hands on them. Some guys, you want to keep them out there because what they want is for you to get close to them so that they can work those ninja hand moves on you. And so um, I think I was probably the first guy that tried that on Jason Taylor. It worked really well. And I don't even know, honestly, if anybody used it again on him because he only made it maybe three four more years in the league and i don't think i ever saw anybody trying to punch the long arm the way i did do you have a photographic memory that's good uh, about football everything else like <laughs> what i ate for breakfast can't remember that I, I can't remember the name of my kids sometimes but like that's when it comes to left tackle play i feel like i remember almost every play from every game and maybe that's why i can't remember anything else really quick i, I looked up the data back to 2007 your rookie season when Justin Smith, we don't have it perfect like every time you matched up against him, but Justin Smith, when he lined up across from you, he had a PFF grade in the 50s as a pass rusher, which is bad. Mm. Uh, and Jason Taylor also had a PFF grade in the 50s, oh, which is bad. I won't tell this you the guys that performed well, nice. but you backed it up and the data backs you up. Now, a couple months back, we met at the Super Bowl and we had sent out a viral challenge to play two-on-two -two basketball mm. with you and Hawk. And, and then we met you and maybe we wanted to back down off the challenge just a little bit. And now that I know you're so prepared, you're oh, probably going to like, us. yeah, he's probably going to like fire up my high school basketball film and figure out how to play me. So um, if we were playing two on two, 
Sam and I against you and Hawk. I mean, what what's the spread on that game there? Well, what the first think? thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go and look up your PFF grades from high school basketball and see where you were weak <laughs> at. You know, see where you couldn't shoot from on the basketball court, and then I would make you shoot from that spot. I'd take away everything else on the court. <laughs> Me and Hawk would just drown you with statistics, and then we'd overwhelm you with Hawk's quickness and my ability to tackle people. So, yeah, so, I, I think uh, that's pretty likely. I I feel like there's a definite athleticism and height advantage for one of us, or probably both of us. Hawks got the athleticism advantage and I got the height advantage. So I feel like the point spread in a a one, a two on two game to 11 should be about six. Like if you guys can get to six, I feel like that's a win for you. We got to get to 11. You got to get to six. I I would take that in a heartbeat right now. I would take that. (laughs) Sam's played like three months of basketball. It's not going to happen. Yeah. That was COVID saved us. Otherwise, we're in real trouble. There was a chance it could happen. <laughs> anyway, um, Sam, finish it up with your your big question here. Oh, so listen. So when we have on guests, I do a little bit of you know research. Um, I, I stalk your Twitter essentially, right? Mm. Find out anything interesting about you. And one of the things that that intrigues me, I'm fascinated generally by this whole offensive lineman losing a ton of weight the second they stop playing thing, right? Mm -hmm. But one thing that jumped out to me with with you was, so I think often, or I think elite players generally are a little bit mentally wired different to the rest of us, right? So I I saw a post you had where you you didn't like olives, right? Yeah. So unlike anybody else who, if they didn't like, like I don't like pickles, so I don't eat pickles. You're wrong, you, by the way. Pickles are amazing. <laughs> but your solution to this was not to avoid olives. Your solution to this was to go and find a giant jar of olives yes. and essentially force yourself to eat olives until you like them now. Uh-huh. And that's probably why I have problems with food. Uh, you know, you mentioned losing weight in retirement. That was a big goal for me. I retired because I had a really bad knee and the orthopedic surgeon said, hey, the only other surgery I can do is put a fake one in there. So what you need to do is lose weight. It'll make you feel better. And he was right. Like losing 50 pounds made a big deal. But when I retired, I needed to kind of dump some of this obsessive compulsive disorder that I had that made me a good offensive lineman into something else because you're so detail oriented and like you get such a reward from just like having every little detail and something uh, perfectly checked off the list and you can't go home and put that on your kids or your wife or them. <laughs> no, sure. no. and so for me I was like I gotta have something and I love to eat so maybe I'll pour it into cooking right and so I figured that if I wanted to be good at cooking not obviously a probable cook, but like just be good enough where if my kids have their friends over, I can make them a meal and the kids are gonna be like, wow, your dad's a good cook. And so I was like, I need to not have any weird taste issues. Like some people, you know, like don't like pickles. And I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> but for me, it was olives. And I was like, you know what? I've I heard that the more you eat something, the more you're gonna be able to like get a taste for it. And I thought you know, there's people that live in the mountains in Asia somewhere that eat some bizarre food and they consider it a delicacy because they've been eating it since they were a kid and they eat it enough and they like it. So if I eat enough olives, eventually <laughs> I'll have a taste for it. So I went to Costco, got the Costco two <laughs> pound jar of t- or maybe two gallon jar of pickles uh, or olives. And I said, you know what, I'm going to eat all of these. And by the end, I feel like I have to at least not hate them anymore. And I can 
firmly say today that I don't love olives, but I don't hate them and I will eat them on pizza and things that I, I didn't before. So I feel like it was mission accomplished in that regard. Unbelievable. Really are wild, wired differently. Right? That is the difference between him, <laughs> professional athletes and normal people. That's why you didn't make it, Steve. You're not No, crazy. I'm not. Uh, you know, I got stuck in the minors, unfortunately. <laughs> Joe Thomas, we appreciate the time. Anything, uh, where can everybody find you? All the great stuff you're doing. What can we plug for you, Joe? Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. You guys can find me on Thursday Night Football on the NFL Network. Uh, you can find my podcast, The Tomahawk Show, with Andrew Hawkins, like we were talking about earlier. And then you can find me on Twitter, at JoeThomas73. It's a lot of food stuff, so if you don't like <laughs> food porn, don't go on there. Uh, there is some football stuff, a lot of kids' stuff. They uh, drive me crazy, and so I like to drive everyone crazy by sharing videos and pictures of them as well. Can you cook better than Mitchell, at least? Or is he uh, I feel like Mitchell was a big inspiration for me to cook. Yeah. And so he's definitely got the upper hand and he's got a better TV gig going on with the cooking stuff right now than I do. All right. Fair enough. The Browns tackles. They could block. They can cook. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks time. a lot for Thank having me, sir. guys. I appreciate it. Man, I wish we had more time with Joe. We will in future. We ran into some technical difficulties at the start of this uh, at the start of his call. Is he gone now? Can I? Yeah, he was at a, he was on his farm. Well, you know that because we're in different outfits, so that's how you can tell. That he's uh, just gone. let me play the game here. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, he was on the farm and dealing with couldn't get on the Zoom. Um, I'm pretty sure I sent him the right link, but I wouldn't want to bet the bet the farm on that. Certainly Based not off his, his attention to detail, right. I think he probably had the right link. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, he, or yeah. You know, it was probably you that screwed him up. No, I don't think screwed I screwed up. it up. Anyway, so we got cut short. He had a hard out because he had to go pick up the kids. Yeah. Um, but he's all for it. I, We've been texting since. Um, Can I get some phone numbers here, please? No, I don't text. God, no. I don't have any friends. Yeah, no, nobody. Um, you, you got Steve Smith's number. You could text. Oh him, yeah, right? I talked to Steve. Oh, let's get Steve on here. Yeah, Steve's fun. Let's get Steve on. Here. Um, so anyway, we'll we'll get Joe back, and we because like there's so many other cool things we wanted to talk to him about, but we'll get him back and do a. I I think he's perfect for our off season plan of interviews, like where we would just have a deep dive for like an hour with uh, with a particular. Uh, interview topic and just make it all about that yeah. the thing the the thing that blew my mind though was that olives thing those guys are just wired differently than regular humans yeah you or i don't like a food you don't eat the food simple right like him it's like well i don't like this that's obviously a defect in me so i need to purge it from my system he like <sighs> it's like the reverse of people you yeah. know the, the thing where if you catch a kid smoking you make him smoke like two packs straight so he'll never smoke again you do that, that's like a parenting thing. I haven't run into that yet because my kid's seven. Yeah, my, my five-year-old hasn't right. done that yet either. But I believe point. that's like a, a, a tried and tested <laughs> technique down Noted. the line. Now, it may be one that's since been frowned upon as a... You like smoking, kid? Right, as child abuse. But back in the day, that used to be that's how a, you dealt with that. Probably worked right? well, though. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's like the opposite, right? It's like, well, I don't like olives, so I'm going to force myself to eat a two-gallon jar of these things. So by the end of it, I'll be okay. Yeah, I did the opposite. My, I was, I remember eating well during my playing career, being like, "Man, I can't wait to retire and eat donuts again." Right? Can't wait. I'm just saying, those guys are wired. And I haven't stopped. They since. like, there's something. Yeah. They're crazy. There's a little bit of craziness behind great athletes, and that's why they're great. That's why he's elite. Anyway, that was great. Loved having Joe Thomas on. Loved having the show. Again, go check out all the other fun stuff we did this week. Me and Kimes podcast. Show. Have him on the show. Oh, that sounded different. To what, what did you I actually say? Said. You said loved having the show. Having him on the show. Uh, I yeah, think you kind of you mashed together some syllables. Can we there. edit that out, please? Steve doesn't make mistakes on this podcast. God, no. Anyway, that's it. We got to go. Week seven. Great preview. See you guys Monday morning reviewing all of the action. <laughs> <laughs>